Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here today with week 69 of the Ham Radio Podcast. And we have a host of lots of guests this time. Lone and Noah sadly can't join us today. So would you all kindly introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Carrick. I run uh, ACG on YouTube. I am a reviewer mostly and do some technical discussions about video games and uh, game design. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, hi, my name is Peyton, otherwise known as Don CG, Fallout Modder. Most well known for making power armor. Yeah. Cool. Working on the Chinese stealth suit. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, that's looking awesome, man. <laughs> Love that stealth suit. Um, hi, my name is Jonah. Um, I am an ex Bethesda dev. Uh, I was a character artist for seven years at Bethesda, and now I do freelance work. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on the System Shock remake. I do a lot of live streaming on my own channel on Twitch, and as well as on the Adobe channel. Um, and I'm writing a novel, and I'm at the first chapter up as of yesterday online. It's Excellent. Oh, cool. So I'll have a link to Carrick's channel, Peyton's mods, all their Twitter accounts, and uh, Jonah, all your stuff as well. All will be down in the description box. You guys should check all that awesome stuff out. We have a lot to talk about this week in Bethesda, and then we're going to do our general gaming discussion afterwards like we normally do. And then after that, it's a nice little Q&A with Jonah here, our celebrity guest. So... Let's roll into the Bethesda News Roundup. Let's start off by talking about Prey. Uh, this is a game I'm very much anticipating because it just the, the, the premise behind it looks so cool. And they gave us some details. It was a what seemed to be almost like a leftover interview from E3, actually. So that was actually surprising to see. But it seems like Bethesda's preparing for QuakeCon and kind of teasing a lot of things that are going to be there. And so, first off, um, Raphael Colantonio said that it's not a sequel. Uh, it's not a remake. It has no tie with the original, and you have to look at it like a reimagining of the IP. He described the game as a hybrid of narrative meets action with a little bit of RPG. Um, the arsenal in the game that you'll be using will be repurposed scientific uh, gadgets. <coughs> also, the game will feature choice and consequence like Dishonored. It's not a horror game and more of a psychological thriller, and it's around the theme of identity. Because a lot of people thought, based off the trailer, that it might be actually kind of horror-focused with the type of monsters that are running at you. And lastly, they chose the name of the protagonist, Morgan, because it was a gender-neutral name since at the beginning of the game, I didn't know this, but you can actually select whether you want to be male or female, oh. which I think is a cool choice, but I also think the idea behind that was interesting. So there's a load of details there to digest. Does anyone have any initial thoughts they want to dive into? Uh, I, the only thing I want to add is it was weird how all, all that information came out like a bullet point. It's not this. It is this. It's this. It's not this. <laughs> And you're, you're, when, you, when you read it, you're all, whoa, it's almost like they were, on, and, and on purpose, obviously, uh, making sure that they answered some questions prior to them even being popped up, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you, sometimes you have to get out in front of things these days. Mm-hmm. So that, that was actually pretty cool. I actually liked it, because you could read it and go, okay, gotcha. I got, I got some info from that. Yeah, I like that as well. I, what, what most interests me personally was that uh, some people, naturally, are always going to be complainers, but I always like to acknowledge them because their arguments are interesting to me. Is that people are saying that if they're just reimagining the IP in general, it, it's not the same thing at all that what the original Prey was, then they're asking, why call it Prey? And I guess that's a fair question, but also uh, a, a slightly ridiculous one, if I'm honest, because um, I think what they're trying to do is, since Prey was a series that, um, I don't want to say never cr- like got off the ground completely, but you looked at Prey 1, decent amount of people liked it, I'd say it's like a cult classic in a sense. And then Prey 2 looked awesome. I think that was going to be the game that would bring in a lot of fans. And now, I think, since that got canceled and now they're doing Prey again, that I think what they're trying to do is just take their own vision and make Prey known for what they're doing. 
because it was never a huge series in the first place. It's definitely one of those games that has a very particular look and feel, kind of no matter how it has changed from one kind of uh, iteration or lack thereof. Uh, I remember I went to, was it E3? Uh, yes, it was E3 when the year was Skyrim uh, came out, because we, obviously a lot of us wanted to be there. And we got to watch the Prey 2 like demo, like live demo. Um, and it was really cool. It was, it was, and the look of it, the feel of it, you know, it has this kind of Blade Runner-esque um, style of things. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, like, it, it definitely makes sense that they would answer so many questions uh, beforehand because I know the moment I saw that, I was like, yeah. wait a second, is this thing been resurrected? Because afterwards, I remember they transferred over onto our network the kind of the, the cold dead remains of this half-made game. And so my friend and I were poking around in it and, and jumping into different levels and just looking at like a test world and getting all close to the monsters and looking at the micro detail and just kind of being like, wow, it's such a shame that none of this saw the light of day. But um, maybe it's kind of like that, um, the Quake kind of thing, Quake 1 and 2, um, where it's kind of like, well, we don't, there's no real similarity, but it's a great franchise and hmm. jump in. Or you could, I mean, Bethesda's not immune to financial situations as well. Calling it prey helps. I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm not <laughs> trying to be rude, but um, I also think that, you know, critique backed by knowledge is fine. And so people asking that question, is prey, uh, it, can you use that name or should you? You've heard me probably say it uh, at times where I'm like, eh, I'm not really quite sure if this company should use this name as they move forward. But um, what it is, is the overall theme of prey will stay. And I don't mean theme like within the game, but if they, their inherent beliefs behind the system and behind the game that they're putting together are the same, they can call it prey because they're, they're trying to do something different with that. And like he said with quake and, and, and there's certain other titles where they really haven't had a lot compared to each other. But they're still in that. They're still in the title, the family title. It's like it's almost like a, a, a re, redone car. It may look nothing like last year's model, right? But you still drive the damn thing. So in the end, call it prey, right? I mean, yeah. Financially, no, I, that's a big deal too. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a familiarity kind of thing, and a lot of people yeah. are disappointed, myself included, with the cancellation of Prey Two. I was like, that oh, game dude. was amazing. Uh, I, I finally remember it. It's a weird story, but I, I think I've told this on the podcast. Uh, I had appendicitis at the time, and I was just chilling in the hospital room before my surgery, just watching all the shit I had missed at E3, <laughs> and uh, Prey 2 was one of them, and I was like, I can't wait for that, and never heard anything from it afterwards, so it's one of those games that after it got canceled and then re-revealed, I was like, I'm in, let's get this done. I, I really like that they're adding choice and consequence to the game. Um, I liked, What I found interesting, though, is that they compared it to Dis- uh, Dishonored, which, to me, I was uh, a little... Because Dishonored, the choice and consequence comes from the assassinations. You take someone out, or you, you choose not to kill them and do it in a non-lethal way, and that affects your ending. So I wonder what type of choice and consequence will be implemented into this game, especially around the theme of identity. Does that mean you're, you're choosing who Morgan is in the sense of you know a good or bad person, or is there this, just this gray area that you can't really find the right or wrong in? So I'm very interested how they're going to implement that. We've seen a lot of games like that, like Dishonored, like like uh, the new Deus Ex, um, or Bioshock, even for that matter, where there's these RPG-like elements, and there's moral choices to make. By and large, I can't say I've been overwhelmed by the consequences of moral co- moral choices in in all those games, even though I really loved all of those games. Um, so maybe that's kind of what they're kind of they're kind of throwing their their hat in the ring with. Like, it'll be fast-paced. It'll be very first-person oriented. It'll be you'll have. A, a, a tree of skills to choose from and some moral decisions to make. But yeah, often when people say moral decisions, I'm kind of like, okay, sure. Yeah, 
and and don't you guys agree? I, we did a video, a huge video on this a couple months ago because um, my personal belief is that almost every game we get now that talks about moral choice is like the three alleys in a MOBA. It's like black, white, and gray. But gray isn't really gray. Gray is just one half of one. It's like zero, one half, and then one. Those are your those are your uh, your overall things you can choose. And talking to developers at Activision on one of their games they're working on, um, it is under NDA, so I can't really speak about it. But they were talking about how many layers can you do? How like uh, that's a, it's a very legitimate question. How many layers can you do in a voice acted game? And so we, we interviewed a voice actor one time. We were talking to him about his answers in certain games and he has worked in a a bethesda game by the way and he was like dude even in a small game with just a couple uh alleys of choice with your 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 dark sith your jedi and you know your your middle ground uh it's tremendous and so sometimes i think gamers get negative even myself by the way and Mm -hmm. it's a money it's like a legitimate money thing because when you talk to voice actors they're actually you know they're under a union there's all that kind of stuff and it's incredibly expensive so I think some companies just have to sit back and be like, I mean, we'll do it within the gameplay system. But I, I, it's interesting here because it sounds to me like what you read, it sounds to me like it starts right at the starting with the identity crisis kind of stuff. True, woman or and Yeah, woman. and so I was, yeah, when you were saying it, I was like, I wonder what that means if it's right at the starting. Like, yeah, uh, like what does that mean? That would, that could be, it could be really cool. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, I agree. Peyton, what are you thinking about, Prey? I'm just really hoping that it takes a look at the ambiguity of morality. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of along the lines that Selma took a look at what makes us human. Okay. Brain, I haven't played that game before. I haven't either, but I okay. have watched so many Let's Plays of it. <laughs> and I'm the only person in the world who probably disliked it, but... Oh, really? uh, yeah, but that, I'm stupid. Like I know when a game's when a lot of people say a game's good, a game's good. Like I was just it wasn't for me. It was mm-hmm. one of those things. But that game has he's right. Like it's got a lot of cool morality in it. Yeah, I mean it's just this overarching competition between brain or body, you know, soul or person what makes you human. And yeah. I'm really hoping that Prey takes a serious look at that whole concept and doesn't just give you evil. You definitely effect. see uh just from an outside look, you know, quick or rather a quick glance, I guess you could draw similarities in, in the terms of at least from what uh, Raphael's saying, and, and just a quick look at Soma, you can you can feel a, a tonal similarity, uh, yeah. in my opinion. So I do hope they they take a look at that. I, I'd say they'd be silly not to. The other thing we could quickly brush over is the the arsenal and how they're going to be repurposed scientific gadgets. But uh, we see in the trailer this this monster going from like wall to wall, and he's got a, a loaded shotgun. <laughs> and he's blasting away at them, so I wonder what these repurposed science, science via are. shotgun. Yep. <laughs> so I, I'm wondering how that's going to go, but uh, I'm, I'm happy that they're working on this game. And uh, now it's for the next bit of news, which is about Doom. And I apologize, by the way, for the viewers who are watching on you know the video. Um, I have to look down because since Lone and Noah aren't here, I can't send them the notes I wrote and have them read them off for me. So I have to write them on my phone. Because on the other side is the recording software, and then I have Skype up in order to record the beautiful faces <laughs> that are on screen. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a one man circus here. Uh, so next is Doom's free update number two that's out right now, and it features awesome. some new multiplayer game modes as well as new content in the snap map, as well as a host of fixes such as you know bug stomping and all that stuff, and all the modes between single player, multiplayer, and um, snap map itself. The new modes, I believe they were like captured a flag and and hold something else. I forgot what it was, but um, 
I think one was on Sector or something like that. But yeah, they, they've added some new modes to maps as well, which was really nice to see. And uh, they're doing a great job supporting this game. I really enjoyed Doom quite a bit. Um, I wasn't... Everyone was kind of like a big fan of the story. And I, I, I think it's just... Like you just said, Carrick, I think it was just me being me. I wasn't the biggest fan of the, the story and how it ended up, personally. I, I, I just don't... I'm not a cliffhanger guy, really. Yeah. So... Do you know what I liked? I liked the uh, in Doom. I felt I, I, I've been on the you know on my review. I basically talk about. It. I think it's one of the best F- FPSs that have come out in years. Mm. One of the best, not the best, but Great. its its slickness is almost parkour in first person, which which just crazied me when I was playing it for review. I was like, this is the slickest moving game I have played in so long, and. In, in rare times is that game that you can play where you don't blame the game occasionally with a death. You're like, you know what? Damn it. That was not me. That was like I got caught on something or, you know, a, a collision box. Man, Doom is slick. I mean, that and and slick with some substance, right? It's not just like slick. It looks good. It's slick and it has some insane level design. So um, I'm stoked. Aren't I have a question for you, Matt. Isn't it? Didn't they replace the team working on MP with a different M- multiplayer See, team? That's an interesting question because I was wondering the same thing when the same team that made <coughs> Doom announced that they're working on Quake Champions. Right. I'm like, you just finished Doom. How are you already working and have stuff ready to show for Quake Champions at QuakeCon? So I'm imagining that what you're saying is true. Uh, that, that would be the only reasonable explanation, but I actually haven't heard sure. that. I've been wondering it myself. So yeah. I don't know if any of you guys, uh, Peyton or Jonah, have heard anything about that. Nada. All right. I don't know much. I don't know much about multiplayer. I played a little bit of Doom multiplayer. Um, I I think like the, it's it's always been the very cool thing to like be like like Doom or Quake multiplayer like id multiplayer like it's a frag fest like they really didn't invent that. But I I've never actually been so enamored by the by the multiplayer that they've offered in any of their games recently. Um, but the single player experience in Doom was. I totally agree with you. It was spectacular. And the, the movement, the fluidity, um, there were no collision box deaths. There yeah. were no ridiculous physics. It ran butter smooth on my six-year computer. Incredibly high frame rate. Most beautiful thing ever. Fluid. Um, they had really mastered what what made the original. It was almost, it was, it's funny because for years I kind of, had this slowly declining view of id's games just because something like Half-Life had come into the world and revolutionized things and presented the same first-person shooter experience that we've come to expect, plus, right? Yeah. And so when I bought Doom 3 in college, I was really excited, and I installed it, and I played it, and I had fun, and it, was, it did a lot of things right, but it didn't, for some reason, do it for me. Doom 4 shocked me, and it was like, wow, you actually... Instead of adding more, you just tripled down on the basics. Yeah. Yeah. And you made the best, most fun, frenetic shooter with like the best gore, the most satisfying weapons, demons that that are following me everywhere, (laughs) a soundtrack that was as metal as hell. Mm. Um, And and, and it crashed for me, I think, once. And I played it through uh, once on hard and once on nightmare. And it just crashed once the whole time. And I was like, that is... Yeah, that's pretty sweet. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I mean, for me, I, see, yeah, that, the only issue, like I said, I had was because you know, I'm a narrative guy in general. So, like, even if it's a lot of people were saying in my review, they were like, "I respect your views, but it's Doom." And I'm like, "Well, you get Wolfenstein as a good example uh, of a game series that you just had a guy who killed Nazis 
really right. wasn't an important protagonist. And then, you know, with the New Order, they made him a really good protagonist and surrounded him with a, a fantastic supporting cast that really made the experience that much better. So I was wondering, you know, if you could do that with just a Nazi killer, then maybe you could do that with Doom. And I think, yeah, I think you're... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm oh, really no, you're excited fine. because you make a really good point. I played Wolfenstein as well, and I also played Wolfenstein twice. And by the way, I don't play games very often twice. Um, especially narrative-driven games, unless there's branching possibilities. Yes. Um, they transform B.J. Blazkowicz into like a really lovable character, and like all the other subcharacters were fantastic. The gunplay was amazing. The story was really good. Um, you know what I think the defining difference, though, for me was is um, Wolfenstein. When you play Wolfenstein One, you load up the game and you're in a prison cell and you just kill the guard. There's a dead guard at your feet, and the whole point is escape from Castle Wolfenstein. So you're already um, kind of already you already feel outnumbered, outgunned. You feel like the small guy. You you you're the guy with nothing, and and here are the Nazis and the Nazis. You know we all know the Nazis, and yes, this is a fictional version of the Nazis, but the Nazis are terrible, right? <laughs> and then in Doom, what I loved about Doom Four is that the they actually to me they they took the same maybe invisible spirit of the game. And, uh, and, and they refine that. And to me, the spirit of the game is not, yo, there's somebody you care about at home that you're saving from the demons or this and that. I think Doom is the ultimate um, uh, um, power trip where basically you're having the most fun in that game when you're just running, gunning, and slaughtering huge monstrosities that are all coming at you um, in waves. And I think they took that to almost to this comical degree, which I thought they basically embraced it, so that you open up the game, you start the game, you pull yourself out of chains, and then you see your own armor embedded in like meteorite rock. That's how tough you are. You put on this armor, you look at your hands in the game, and from an artistic standpoint, you know, they, yes there's the armor, there's the metal armor, but it's got this leather under armor as well, and you actually, you're, you are almost a demon yourself. You're, and then throughout the game, um, you are just pile of bodies and pile of bodies and pile of bodies, and the main characters start referring to you as, you know, just like you are a killer. That's all you do. You kill. Like the guy, you know, the, what's his name says. You know, the bad guys are coming. You'll have a fight on your hands, and then he chuckles and says, "But I expect that's what you want." And you're like, "Yeah, that's that's all I want in the game." You know, <laughs> and then even and, and I thought they took it to a lovely, um, funny uh, a degree where, at times, you know, whenever um, what's his name Hayden is that right Samuel Hayden. He, he yes. says on your intercom, you know, now, now delicately interface with this computer and do this thing. And you not once do you do that. You just answer it with your fist and you just, you just explode whatever you're working on. And it's the only language you speak. And so I totally agree. I'm sorry, that was a very long answer. No, by all means. I feel means. very passionate about, passionately about these games. And I think that that's why actually why I'm glad they did not go, they didn't try to humanize you. In fact, they made you the greatest of all demons, you know, and then they just that's unleashed a, you on hell. standpoint, yeah. That's that's actually it's pretty eye opening when you put it that way. When because uh, you know, oh uh, yeah, totally well, made, uh, I heard you made irrelevant. So <laughs> I, I heard somebody at uh, at E three we were talking to was it E three? No, I can't remember where it was. It might have been on a podcast. We were talking to somebody and they said it is funny that in Doom because I do believe that technically uh, when when they say you know bad guys are coming, uh, a good one liner for that would have been but the bad guys already here because you are. Mm, and right. what somebody had said that it reminded them of the Master Chief being called Demon by the Grunts. So in Master Chief and Halo, they're constantly calling him, here comes the demon. Here come, like they have their own myths and stories. And the weird thing is, is these guys are demons, but you are quite literally 
destroying entire legions of demons. Yeah. And there's this cool bit. I mean, like you get that cool feeling in Doom. Like, I wonder if they're telling stories about me. Like, you you guys are going to tell stories about how awesome I am, and that's the that's the power trip of Doom, right? Well, like that's, exactly. You, that's you, what you it touch is. Those rune stones throughout the game, and they yeah. they have a deep voice, gravelly man talk about how terrible you were, and how basically every imp child yeah. cowers in its crib thinking about you, the Doomslayer. I like yeah, that too. yeah, yeah. It's very cool. No, I agree. Yeah, it's more so for me. Okay, here, if I really did have one complaint, I, I would rather say it wasn't – definitely a cliffhanger bothered me, okay? But that that's kind of irrelevant when you have such a, a fun game like Doom. I love the hell out of it. I think it was more so that um, – and a lot of people said, like, you know, you, you just need the carrot dangled in front of you the whole time. Is that they give you, like, awesome weapon after awesome weapon and all these cool upgrades and stuff. And then for the last, I'd say, four hours, they kind of just – they essentially set you up in your toy box and then – let you go. Yeah, they peter out a little bit. Yeah, and, and um, you know, the, the last weapon you get that's big, and I wouldn't say this is a spoiler, is the uh, the BFG, the, the big fucking gun that literally just decimates a room full of uh, demons. And um, after that, you, you don't get these cool weapons that kind of kept you progressing. And I felt like that was a core part of what made the story fun is because you're just like, I just keep getting badder and, and, and just, or rather, I keep getting worse and, you know, just more threatening to these demons. And, you know, like you guys said, where they're, are they telling stories about me? You find out they kind of are. Um, you know, is that I think they're realizing that vision when they're constantly giving you these new weapons of destruction. And then when they kind of pull the plug on that and have you running around hell for four hours, just, you know, getting to that final boss fight. I feel that's where the game starts to taper off a little bit personally. But that doesn't take away from the experience at all because I've, I've said through and through it's a fantastic game. You should not skip out on it. Especially because Bethesda's been so generous with the deals for this game. Uh, they, they've kept discounting it, and, and they gave away the first level for free to say, like, yeah. hey, look how awesome this game is. You know, uh, it, they could. It, you've had your chance to play this game. If you haven't yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Doom is awesome. Especially because the multiplayer is fun, too. So, there's that. Yeah, too. for sure. I hey. haven't played it, but how do you guys think it stands up to the original just feel-wise? It's definitely got a similar speed. I, that's what I said in the review. I felt yeah. that speed was pretty close. I think the original might be a little faster, maybe, but um, as I programmed wads for the originals, so like I, I spent a lot of time with the originals, and I think they were. Uh, it's close, man. It's awesome. I mean, it just it feels it, it it feels really really good when it comes to movement. And I think the original Doom. That's what I liked about the original Doom was the movement yeah. was fun. So yeah, you'd probably like it, Peyton, because you know you're a moderate, and they have the the snap map mode, and you can make some really crazy levels with them. I've, I've goofed around in Snap Map myself, and it's like, it's intuitive in the sense where it's like, on the surface level you look at it, you're like, okay, I get this, and then there's like yeah. 40 different layers beneath that are that are like, okay, you want to get complex, here you go, here are the tools, and they keep adding more to it. Um, that was part of the update that I just mentioned in the little news bit, is that they did add, uh, I think like 25 new things to to build with. <laughs> cool. So, there's a couple backgrounds as well, so that's that's nice that um, they're they're constantly supporting this game. But uh, speaking of id, uh, we also have details on Quake Champions. You guys have been talking about Quake a lot, so you actually might have to take the reins for this conversation, because to be completely honest with you, I've never played Quake in my life. Um, that might be because I am a smidge... Like, I was born, you know, like, during those times, so I don't think I was at the proper age to actually play these games, I'd say. Or I was just never really introduced to them as I got older. But uh, anyway, the, the details for Quake Champions. So they have Champions or the game's heroes. So you could, if you want to draw a recent comparison, I guess you could think Overwatch where you have that squad of heroes that um, 
have their own unique abilities. Uh, but players can naturally pick up any weapon of their choice on the map when a, a champion dies and drops it. You can pick that up, so you're not really necessarily locked into that class and can't change it up whatsoever. Um, also, there were four champions that were highlighted inside of this article. Um, the first ones, or rather the four they listed, were Ranger, Visor, Nyx, and Scalebearer. And Ranger was playable in the first ever Quake, and he has a Dire Orb, which allows him to teleport. Then there's Visor from Quake 3 Arena, and he will be able to see enemies through walls and other barriers. Nyx is a new champion who is new and faster. And um, then there is... Oh, he can actually also phase to nearby locations, becoming invincible for a short period of time. And lastly is the Scale Bearer, who is another newcomer, naturally, and can use a Bull Rush ability. So it seems they're... From what I'm getting from this, based off the title, Quake Champions, and then you see that they're bringing back some from the original... Correct me if I'm wrong, but some from the original, some new ones. It's almost like a celebration of Quake, in a sense, where it's like, let's get all these badass characters from all these games to face off in Quake Champions. Am I am I interpreting that properly? Because it seems to be like a, a multiplayer-focused game with based off the cast that they're starting to announce now. Is that accurate, or...? Yeah, I mean, everything I've seen, that is, but I just don't think they've announced enough for us to really get. I mean, I've only seen the one trailer and then a couple little announcements. Mm. So I will say one thing. What you said just really excited me out of the blue, which I didn't know. When you said the idea that you start as one character, but you can pick up other people's weapons. When I play Overwatch, I always wonder what it would be like to have my skills with uh, the other people's weapons. Hmm. So if you can do that, uh, the idea of like maybe finding one or two weapons you really like that aren't owned by your starting character, but you maybe get a synergy when you're working with your own weapon and your own skills, that could be fantastic because one problem with Overwatch that I have is that um, I won't say it's long in the tooth, but I, I do find myself not returning to it as much as I thought I was going to. Interesting. So the idea, and, and that's because I think it's the same stuff, right? You've got the same weapons. Like, you're not, you know, so that would be cool to me. That's, I, I don't know, and you just read that. That's the first I've ever heard of that, so. Yeah. I, I mean, for me personally, uh, I'm nearing 60-ish hours on Overwatch, which I know a lot of people have me way beat out on that, but for me, um, kind of like what Jonah said, where I don't return to games twice, for me, when it's a multiplayer-only game, like, a good example would be Battlefront. Uh, that was my childhood, Battlefront 1 and 2, as well as the ones on the PSP. I played those so much, and I thought, like, regardless of Battlefront on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, if that's good or bad, I'm going to play that a lot because I love Battlefront, and I didn't. Me too. But with Overwatch, you know, this game just keeps pulling me back. Like, I play it so much, and multiplayer-only games don't do that, especially ones like Overwatch where you could argue that... I don't know how to word it. It's not a lack of content because the heroes have so much focus that they're almost game modes in their own right because you play them so vastly differently. But, you know, you, you look at the amount of modes and maps they have and you could argue there's a lack of content here. And and, and to a degree, there definitely is. But um, I, I don't know. It's a game that constantly pulls me back. So that's why Quake Champions has me interested because now when I yeah. hear like, oh, we have a cast of heroes and I like what they're doing here where they're bringing back some originals, it sounds like, but also introducing new ones and it's going to be like the ultimate Quake deathmatch in a sense. Anyone else here played some Quake? I know, Jonah, you mentioned Quake earlier. Yeah, I mean, I definitely played Quake 1 a lot back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I played Quake 2. Uh, and then, in a surprise twist, I played Quake 3. Um, <laughs> no, I've play, I, I never played Quake Territory. Um, I, I really appreciate what they're doing here. They're kind of taking... Um, what was that um, Warcraft MOBA? Or like the, was it... They're basically taking all the Blizzard cast of characters and creating a a, Dota, like a MOBA out of it. Which, which, what was that one called? Oh, man. 
Is it Heroes of the Storm or? Heroes of the Storm. Thank yeah. you. No problem. Yeah, so I, I, it sounds like they're trying to kind of cash in on, on franchise recognizability. Um, but um, I don't know much. This is the first I've actually heard about it. I did oh, not, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've not been paying so close attention. And actually, shoot 'em ups online used to be my bread and butter. And these days, I'm just. I have. I. I <laughs> Uh, Doctor Peyton knows this a lot, but I, I give myself tendonitis making Alduin uh, for Skyrim, and what it ended up doing is that I just can't play a competitive video game for longer than a couple days in a row because I I just I think I click really hard, you know. Okay. Um, I get really into it. I can play for hours. So I've actually just I, I've I've told myself that I'm not allowed to play um, Overwatch because I can tell that it's like Team Fortress or something, and I'm gonna. Yeah, totally, I can totally lose my life to that. I'm, I just can't, can't do that right now. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. Makes sense. What about you, Peyton? Play Quake? Uh, I played Quake 3 when I was younger, but I, I honestly don't play a whole lot of games. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm just in the dark as you guys. Like, There was just that one initial trailer at E3, and then this thing of details and i'm like oh this is a decent amount this is worth talking about but i, I think they're apparently going to be naturally it's quake con so it makes sense but apparently they're going to be showing off exclusive gameplay there which would likely be similar to what they did with doom where they're going to just shut down the live streams and let people at the show watch it exclusively which uh, will piss people off but makes sense i think it's important that they do that type of stuff to yeah. keep conventions alive and thriving and all that stuff you, and you I was very... oh sorry go ahead I am very excited for the new Quake, even though I'm not really a huge fan of the series. I'm um, curious about it, so I, I yeah. think I'm on the same page as you, where it's like, I don't know, a, I really don't know a thing about Quake, other than it, it sounds like a multiplayer shooter. I know that's probably sad to say, because it sounds like one of the originals, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm a piece of shit, I know. But, uh... It's just I'm curious what it's going to be like. So it might be one of those games that I just keep myself intentionally in the dark on. Anytime I see like a headline for it, I'll just be like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to scroll by this and not read up on it because I uh, I think that helps you enjoy games a lot more. If I'm honest, if you just I don't want to see because there's like a limit, you know, when you know too much about a game. I think I did that with Fallout 4 because I just looked into every single fucking thing. But that's just me personally. Speaking of Fallout 4, the last piece of news that we have this week is the Vault Tech Workshop, which just dropped this week. Did you actually... I don't think you did because it came out this year. You didn't work on this, right, Jonah? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So, anyone have a chance to play this one yet? I have that bug that doesn't allow me to start it. So, there's really? a, like a Yeah, there's a lot of people reporting that there's a particular bug where uh, you, you can't get to an item. And Cadiz, the other guy on my channel, was like, yeah, I have this issue. And I'm all... Psh- I'm sure I can get through it because that never happens to me. I load it up. First thing that happens is I can't get to the start point. So I haven't been able to play it yet, but really? um, I'm sure they'll patch it. Yeah. I'm excited to try it out because I left Fallout 4 for a long time. So mm-hmm. I want to jump back in. But yeah, so I haven't got to see it at all. So have you played Far Harbor yet then? Or? I, uh, I basically made sure it would work and run and that was it. Okay. I just, I, I have to step away for, you know, No Man's <laughs> Sky. A couple no, other games, absolutely. And yeah. then go back to it. No, I'm, with, I'm with you on that. Trying to, to keep my schedule clear. And so I can review games as well. But yeah, I have you played Vault Tech Workshop, Peyton? No, that's it's uh, the only one I don't have thus far. Mm. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about it. We talked about it last weekend. Yeah. yeah. 
seems a little bit <laughs> It seems light in content, Peyton? Not necessarily in content, but in context. Um, you know, you've got this quest line for it, which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's the vault was never completed, and then you end up with a functioning vault door and what I can tell a repurposed capsule tile set, which that's not a vault. Yeah, gotcha. That, that, that's like a vault tech hang. Hmm. Yeah, for me, it's a. Uh, I think what the issue I had with the DLC is because it's technically you could argue it's probably the. the I won't say the best, but you could say it's the most attractive option for the settlement DLC. But for me, I've I personally just like had my fill of the settlement mode. Um, I'm very traditional in the sense where you know when I look at uh, Oblivion, Fallout Three, Skyrim, uh, Fallout Four, even you know, it's like I like to go on the new adventure. And I know that takes more time, resources, money, all that stuff. So that's why I kind of understand why they're trying to balance that out with the settlement DLC because that's easier that allows you to get content out at a quicker pace keep fans interested while you're working on the bigger picture but for me I I think I was just at like a period while playing it where I was just kind of like the switch had been off I was just like I can't can't get into this I I beat the quest line and I I built a couple of vaults it's definitely fun there's a lot of new assets which is uh, pretty cool obviously you've probably seen most of them when you explore the vaults in Fallout 4 but it's, it's nice to build your own. It, it makes settlements a really interesting thing because if you have all the DLC, then you can build, <laughs> you can build like, facilities that produce ammo. You can build, like, the ball and track pit. You can build uh, vaults now. You can have death claws be companions. You can have gorillas walking around your settlements. You can have arenas. And then you have all the stuff in the base game. It's like, okay, settlements have gone too far. <laughs> like, there's just so much there. Uh, it's awesome. I enjoy it personally, but I, I think I've always said that I, I like the focus to be on the, uh, I guess the way to say it is what I like about Fallout. But it, I know it's popular. It, it's such a it's such a mixed bag on the settlement mode because I made a, a discussion video about it uh, because I remembered while I was editing a video that Todd Howard had said that settlement mode would be optional, but it, then I obviously everyone's for the most part played Fallout for. Where it was like, well, at the end of the game, to get to the Institute, you need the settlement mode. And then this optional mode that people were like, okay, I like this, but it needs work. Um, when it came to DLC, it just kept getting more assets, not fixes to what I thought were issues. And I think that's the good thing about vault Workshop, is that it addressed one of the issues, which was like, settlements should have quests to make people compelled to build and help out what's going on here. So that when you're looking at that rebuild the wasteland vision that Bethesda has for Fallout 4, that that's what you're doing in the Vault Tech Workshop DLC, where you're you're you know you're conducting experiments, you're realizing this dream that uh, Overseer Barston Bars I forgot someone with a B had, and I think that was the cool part. Although you could argue, oh, it's just a you know get this item, bring it back, and then you know conduct this experiment, see what happens. It was. Uh, it kept the settlement itself interesting because I was like excited to go back out into the world, pick up some new items, and build more because I had a good, compelling reason. Where in the base game of Fallout 4, and I apologize for the long-winded uh, thing right here, but with Fallout 4, I felt with the settlement mode that you had a great idea. It, it, it's still a fun idea, 
It's just that you needed that one last bit to compel most players to keep them interested in what is the best part about a Fallout game, which is the characters and the questing. So if I've always said this to the point where I'm sure my viewers are sick of it, but I've always said like each settlement should have had their own unique settler that you got at a certain point when you, you did something specific at the settlement, and then from there, they'll show up, maybe give you a new, unique item or give you a quest because they've been attracted to your settlement. They're like, hey, I'm from... I came from New York, we'll say, for example, because I heard about your settlement. And, you know, they'll say, I got this cool idea for Boston that I wanted to try out, and uh, I needed your help because I heard you were the guy to go to because you've been bringing hope to all these people. And, and I think that's a way it could have expanded. But... Um, Long but yeah, and, and I, that's actually a good answer, but that's something you and I uh, talked about prior to the last podcast too, was like um, holistic world design mm. is actually not done quite often. So a lot of times there's just, especially DLC, <coughs> it's just, it's just thrown out there sometimes. And you, you're like, why should I even investigate this? There's no real pull to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that does happen quite often, unfortunately. And it happens in games too, where you get it. I, we just did a video on uh, Thief 4. Well, whatever you call it. Is it Thief 4? Or is it just Thief? What did they call that? Just Thief, but... Just, yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely terrible level design. One of the worst <laughs> level designs I've ever seen in my life. And it was... Um, that's terrible because that's one of those games where it has to be... The, the level design has to be specifically great. Yeah, and um, one of the so worst... Uh, one of the, oh, are you guys going to argue with me? Sorry. I, I don't want to... Oh, no. oh I, I entered a spot in that game recently, and I was like, wow, this this is a Thief game. And it's quite literally got me by the nose like a bull, and it's dragging me around the level and telling me with audio cues exactly where to go, with video, with visual cues exactly where to go. It's a complete loss of the holistic worldview that a person is experiencing the world versus being told about it. There's a huge difference. And um, that game, uh, and many games, and Fallout has this occasionally, Skyrim had it sometimes too, where you have that moment where you're like being told exactly where to go or the opposite, like you said, where there's no reason to go there. There's just nothing there. You know, you're like, why am I experiencing this? There's nothing here. And there's no pull for uh, for people to go to it. And yeah. it's sad. Yeah, I mean, I, I know some people will argue for me about Fallout 4 settlement mode is that oh the dlc is optional you don't have to do that for sure you, you don't have to buy the season pass absolutely but i i make bethesda videos i'm gonna i'm obviously going to buy it you know so i think that gets rid of that bit of the argument but um another argument would be well it's just there for fun it absolutely is fun it's yeah. just that you know with anything that you know when you the, i think the beauty of dlc a lot of people like to shit on it but for me the beauty of dlc is like you're getting this direct feedback from the consumer after your, your base product is you know released into the public so you got to interpret all that feedback. What are we seeing people like and don't like? And if you see people like the settlement mode but don't like the lack of a you know a, a reason to go there and start building, I don't think the fix was to give us more items to build with. That would just get us in there. Okay, let's see what this is. All right, that's great. I'm off in an hour. With questing, though, and I don't mean to just keep beating a dead horse here, but just I'm just saying with questing, I think that was like if they released a settlement quest pack, 30 because I think there's 30 two settlements or something like that in Fallout 4. Um, and if they want, like, 30 new settlement-focused quests that bring in unique settlers, uh, characters to meet, and items into the game as well as quests, that would have been cool, I think. Because, you know, well, that would have been a natural expansion <clears throat> of the game because I always think when you're making DLC as well, you might want to keep in mind that when someone's playing the game maybe a year from now, they buy the complete edition or yeah. the special edition and they see this game, you know, that it's a natural expansion of what's happening. I think Automatron did that well. And so I think a, a settlement quest pack 
was something that you know wouldn't even almost phase the gamer while they're playing it because you know they they'd be playing the settlement mode and be like, okay, it makes sense that someone special would show up here because I put so much time into this area. I was just going to say it reminds me of cosmetics in an MMO. That's what the workshop is to me. It's just in the DLC. Whenever you talk about items, that's it reminds me of cosmetics. It's just there. It's it's great. It's there. You can make it look cool. Instead of dressing up your character to look like a schoolgirl, you can dress up your place to look like a school. And to me, that's not really <laughs> incredibly exciting. Like, it's great that people get it, but it doesn't excite me to use it, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, I might look at it, but it's too bad. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely when, when, when the planning goes into any kind of DLC... Um, you know, of course, the you know the, the first couple DLCs released after a game are kind of pivotal. They have to keep the revenue stream going. They have to kind of keep people active and keep people talking about it. And then I think when you reach an area like here, um, it's not so much like look at this like great pull. It's more it's much more like well, we have these things, we have these tools, we have these ideas. Um, it's easy for just a couple of people to do work on this, and we get to and then we get to keep giving to the community because I think yeah. that's. And you know, and it's 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 always been. I think that your point about um, uh, getting those settlements to feel like there's a personal touch to them is definitely critical. Um, I guess the problem you, we we come to here is is obviously the inevitable problem of here's a continent to explore. How do we possibly fill it with with <laughs> substantive things? Um, you know, it. it uh, I I played. I, I worked on fall. For, for nine months before I left and moved to New York. Um, and so I was, so playing the game was super fun to me and it felt super new and it was the first game since almost like Morrowind that basically that I hadn't been involved with in some way uh, or at least I was minimally involved with that so I guess I was very involved in it um, before I left. Um, but the, the, the question there has always been one of, of um, how do you make the, the experience as sandboxy as possible? And so, for, for instance, I didn't even know that Preston Garvey would just spit out quests like that. Because for a while, I thought that this was like the Thieves Guild. And I would just keep talking to him, and I would be like leveling up. and Oh, somebody way. else did that. Okay, thank you. I did yeah. that as well. All right. right. Cool. So, and, and, this, and here's the thing is, is there's nothing wrong with Preston Garvey as his character, except that he always he, he won't even give you a break. He's always assigning you something new. But also, they put him in like the main hub. So it's he, he simultaneously does what he's supposed to, which is I stand here and I call you general and I'm a provider of content. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, once you realize, oh, what I'm doing is a, is a radiant quest and the, settler, the settlement that I'm building is filled with radiant settlers, you're right. It does. You do lose a personal connection and you lose a reason to care because ultimately... There, these people are literally just like everybody else. Um, but it, you know, but then, so then, it, it's this kind of balance, right? Because also at the same time, and people say this a lot, but people also maybe may not appreciate just how small Bethesda is. Oh, I, I yeah, I, I'm 100 percent on board with that. I always tell right. people that they're like, "Oh, bullshit!" I'm like, like a hundred people, man. Like they do big games for their size. Totally. I mean, you have a game like Assassin's Creed, for instance. Um, Thousands of people. Assassin's Creed, that's four times as large as the Bethesda team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're making a much smaller game in many, in many ways. In many ways. Not in every way, but in many ways. Um, and there's a, there's, it's like um, it's a Paulus versus, versus Brett kind of experience. And I think that with a... I can definitely speak to you know, previous DLCs that we've created for Fallout 3, for Oblivion, for, for Skyrim, and Fallout 4... <clears throat> although I didn't work on any of the Fallout 4 expansions. Um, 
it's a mix between we have a couple designers here who have a really great idea and they're heading the team here and there's a couple of artists assigned to them and they're all going to work together and provide this content down to more smaller teams where you know at this point I imagine there's not that much fallout for work to be done because the fallout for hubbub is, is, is getting quieter and quieter um, of course we have I think uh, the last DLC to go yes. um, and I, I'm I, I will go into that more later, and I, I can't give away any information, but I just know that it's going to be good, and I know who's working on it, and I know the, the, the general feel of the route they're taking. And I feel like that's a really great example of, of be, giving people time to create substantive information and, and work over time. But, you know, but with Bethesda, it's always been this, how do, we, how do we fill the land with real meaning and real characters? And at the same time, how much... Do we just give them sandboxy entertainment for sandbox's sake? Because I think that that um, that's so much of what's of what Bethesda is about—the open world game. It's a sandbox. You just you pick a direction, you just start walking, and you have adventures. And and so I think with a with an expansion like this, I can totally understand how people could be a little disappointed. But keep in mind, it's also one of those situations where—and I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to just everybody. Oh, just keep in mind that, that that's a situation where. You know, they have this stuff. They had a couple passionate designers who wanted to do just this one thing. And what are they going to do? Like, not release that? You know, yeah. so it's, they definitely still want to get it out there because there's still people who will, who will love it. Um, but, you know, I also at the same time, I imagine a lot of the team is moving on to whatever next thing is going on. Yeah. So I mean, the one thing that a lot of people, and I want to say it's got to be selective forgetfulness is what I enjoy calling <laughs> it. Because uh, gamers love doing that to further their arguments, <clears throat> is that uh, I used to run a wishlist series, and I don't say that that's the end all be all of you know what Fallout fans wanted, but when I sit down and I look at that playlist I have, it's a long playlist of videos because I made it for I made that series for many years weekly, um, sometimes you know multiple videos a week, and one of the most requested features was. Build a city, build a town, build a settlement, build this, build that. People wanted this. They got it. I think that the implementation of the building was done well. I remember, you know, I once again, selective forgetfulness. I remember sitting at E3 when they introduced the settlement mode for Fallout 4 and lost my mind. I was like, thank God they're doing this. Right. And then I think it's just a matter of implementation and execution. And uh, I think they did a lot and of things right with it. Well. Yeah, that, that as well. Um, you know, I, I, but the other thing that I think people should appreciate is that they're taking chances with an established franchise, and that's not easy. It's not easy to take a series that's been around since '98, I think, and change it that drastically. Where you know, if you were an original Fallout player back then, and then you look at it now, you know, the the, the voice protagonist was a big jump. The settlement mode, big jump. You know, and I think I would um, I admire them more for stepping out of the comfort zone for saying, "Hey, let's try this." And maybe screwing it up a little bit, which is frustrating as a gamer, arguably. But at least they tried. They know, okay, we might want to do... Maybe we'll say hypothetically, of course. Let's say there's an Elder Scrolls Six. Okay, we'll do the settlement mode again. But this time, we know people want more substantive, uh, substantive content in that settlement mode. So we'll do that, you know. So I think it's good that they take these chances because... I know Todd Howard said the team likes to think in the long term. They like to think way down the line with things where it's like okay this may not have worked but when we fix it and get it just right to what they want that in our next game it'll be just right and i think that's a good way of you know approaching things in a, in a game design is that you know if someone would try to argue that fallout 4 could be a bad game 
say that in quotes because I personally, I'm not just saying this because Jonah's here. I've said t- time and time again, I don't think Fallout 4 is a bad game. But if you could argue that in the since Morrowind that they've made one bad game, then I'd say that's a good track record to have as a, as a game designer, personally. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of another video video game designer that, that that's. I mean, maybe like Valve is, is one of yeah. those like we you know, just turn out hits. Um, but uh, Activision, yeah, but, of but, course. But then again, <laughs> but it's funny also because again, you know, Valve, Blizzard, these are these are giants. Mm-hmm. You know, still compared to Bethesda. Um, yeah, I, I think. I mean, I I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you, and I think that, um, especially from the perspective of a developer. There's when you hear about the initial ideas of a game and you're looking forward to the game and you can't wait to sink your teeth into this next game, you immediately begin to dream and think of things that could happen and things that would oh Todd oh wait check this out I got the best idea I mean the, we all have ideas that are spectacular and when you are on that dev, dev team and you're trying to work on this game you just want to do them all um, so I, I get it and and there's, and there's going to be there's going to be a million cuts. There's going to be a million little darlings that are just going to have to be murdered over the course of the career uh, of that, or over the course of that, that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and every so, speaking as a developer, I definitely um, uh, uh, I will defend Bethesda to the end. But at the same time, I know exactly anything that the player is frustrated about regarding the series. Like I'm even more frustrated, and, and I think most of the developers on, on at Fallout were, you know, just because it's your own thing. You're working so hard. There's your expectations are so high, and there's just going to be. You're not only you're not going to get things right, but I think that, um, as with all, anything that you can imagine and then create later, there's this gap uh, between the your expectation and the result, and and hopefully. You know, the, expect, the, the result will never meet your expectation. It ne- you'll never be what you thought it was going to be or that you hoped it was going to be. Um, but the best you can hope for is that the sum total of what you've created is something new and cool and different and of its own style. And so I think that, you know, the, for Skyrim, for instance, we, six months before release, um, the team was in a panic because we really, there was a, and there was a lot of infighting. There was a lot of feeling like, things were going very badly and that we had made some major miscalculations on a number of levels and that, you know, how can we possibly salvage this? And we worked so hard for months and months and months and those of us who weren't programming or doing art were just playtesting constantly and just taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. Um, and in the end, I don't know how we did it. We pulled it together into a game that's, that's pretty respectable um, oh gosh, yeah. and, and definitely left an impression. <laughs> but as with, as with any... You know, if I if you were to ask me how Skyrim turned out, I would say really great in many ways, and not so great in many ways. There's 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 more disappointments that I, you know of that game that I could possibly articulate, and yet at the same time, it is a classic game. You know what I mean? So you never you never quite know what you're going to get. You're just going to pour your your blood into it and your sweat. And um, I think gamers are always right to have an opinion about a game, especially if it's not a good one. I I've I've expressed multiple ill feelings regarding multiple games that I love just during the course of this podcast. You know, I mean, Quake and Doom and things like that where there was so many shortcomings and yet something amazing was was created. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that the, the passion of the community really does drive the developers and, and, 
and they really the developers work hard. And the only you know what the only thing I will ever say to to to, to fans of any kind is that um, the things that that happened that you didn't like about this game, um, no no one tried to make it shitty for you, and nobody was nobody was ever lazy. Mm-hmm. Those guys were in crunch mode for like a year and a half before the game ended, and they didn't have to be. Like they didn't have to. They worked so hard. Um, and I just, I think a lot of them, they, I just know how much blood and sweat and tears went into these games. Um, and certainly, and that should never stop anybody from, from critiquing a game. Because a game like anything else is a work of art. And you can pour your blood, sweat, and tears into things and then step back and be like, oh, that's a, that's a piece of shit filled with blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> like, it, it happens, it happens. Yeah. But that, so that's the only element that I would, would ever defend to 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 die to my dying breath is like oh they were too stupid or lazy no it's never those it's never those reasons why something went wrong so yeah no that's that's an interesting way of incorporating feedback because you know you, you think for me I've I've I'll admit it I've generally gone soft at times on Bethesda and, and my viewers have made me well aware that there are some videos I've made in the past where I have been a little too soft on what I've had to say. But um, sometimes I think that softness for myself and many other YouTubers comes from, you, you know, because firsthand, uh, because of this podcast, I've had the, the privilege to be able to talk to people who have worked on games such as yourself. And you hear the passion in their voice. You see firsthand them not trying to bullshit you like, all right, this is a good PR spiel. Like, you're freelance. You really don't have any investment in Bethesda at, at, to the point where obviously you have a job to do and stuff. But you could sit here and just essentially trash them but you're choosing not to obviously because you respect them but also as a youtuber you know sometimes you go soft on these companies or in soft in the public's eyes because you just generally appreciate the hard work that goes into that and um the the way that you see somehow the community sometimes the way the community responds to certain things in games how harsh they can be you know, but I think that's also I I, I I don't actually think you're being soft. I think that's critiquing with knowledge. There's a there's a complete difference between, uh, and I wouldn't even agree in in many ways with it. Jonah was saying that everybody ha- has a valid complaint, or I, I, that's not exactly what he said. But I just don't think that at all. I think that you need to do your due diligence um, first when you purchase a title, right? You need to wake up. You need to go, I'm going to spend 60 bucks, so I need to know at least somewhat what I'm getting. That's the first thing. But when you do get it and you complain because it doesn't have underwater submersibles and you and the developers had no plan of putting it in there, yeah. does that person have a valid complaint? And would oh, you yeah. be soft on it if you didn't say so? And the problem is, is that... Um, is that everybody has this feedback and it's awesome that like Bethesda's listening all the time and that's great but I also at times feel bad for developers because I in my videos at the end I always say no developer woke up and said let's make a shitty game that's like the end end line of uh, of the reviews and the reason why I say that is because it makes no effing sense that they would like yeah. but you will get people saying that so I don't think you go dude I've watched your videos like you may go it may appear like you're going soft but what's really going on is you're just maybe you're not explaining where your information is coming from right your your yeah, knowledge I, of what's going on in the, in, in the you background. take into account um, I, I hate saying this because like Lona and Noah bound, like pounded into my head that I make it sound like I'm bragging. Obviously, they're being sarcastic, but you know, you're bragging. I, yeah, when I met <laughs> when I met Todd Howard at E3, you know, it was just a, a genuine one-on-one conversation with him about the the game, how things are going, and you know, it, it wasn't at least with Bethesda. I, I've seen it as well firsthand. I'm sure you have, Carrick, that uh, as a YouTuber, you sometimes get that PR bullshit spiel. Yeah. And you know you can tell they're trying to butter you up. With Bethesda, they're very just 
They're very yeah. real with you. And so for me, when I see that, and it, the, you know, if they've come out and admitted their mistakes, I don't have to call them out on it. Usually, they they are usually the first to step up and say, "Yeah, we we did this wrong." You know, a, a good example would be the voice protagonist. I don't. They didn't say they did it wrong, but they said that that was a misstep. And they don't have to go out of their way to say, "Hey, community, we hear you. You didn't like that your character was voiced." You know, and they could have just sat on the money, sat on the opinion, and just been like, well, whatever, we got their money. But instead, they chose to acknowledge the community, their complaints, and say, hey, you know, we misstepped here, but here's how we're going to fix things. And I think yeah. that is admirable. And I think, there, and not just Bethesda, but a general respect for game developers should be in place. Because when I talked to another great talk I had at E3 this year was with Lauren Lanning, creator of the Odd World series. And, um, you know, he said that. He actually has a very interesting standpoint on game development because he, and it was interesting talking to him, especially because Oddworld Munch's Odyssey was, I believe, my first ever video game. So it was really cool to talk to him and hear how he was like, yeah, game development's not fun at all. He's like, there's there's nothing fun about it. And how, um, you know, you're always nervous, especially around launch time and all that stuff. So, and he said how the, the average work span is usually like five years and then someone will back out of their job and go try something else. <laughs> And so, you know, when he mentioned all this type of stuff, it, it was like, wow, you know, these, you are, you are as me, myself, and, and you guys as well, we all know there's people on the other end working at this game. But a lot of yeah. people who are bashing out these internet comments don't think of that, that, hey, someone might be checking out, for example, a Fallout 4 dev might be looking at my video and seeing these comments about Fallout 4 and someone just might be vicious for no reason because they had a bad day and not think of the repercussions that can have and echo into the development team. So... I think there needs to be a, a greater respect put out there. But then again, it's the internet. can't really control it too much, but I think that some people can be a little more self-aware when they're, they're writing the stuff they do. You know, that really does speak to me. Because, you know, you go through, you go into the time machine, and you go back to Fallout 4's launch. There was so much demonization because of this overwhelmingly so. They showed a whole crap load of features at E3 that were all included. I can't recall anything that was cut right off the top of my head. True. And that's what we saw, and that's what we got. And then everyone comes out of the woodwork just saying that this is the worst developer on the planet, that yeah. they lied to us, you know, that old lies made. And it's just... I have yet to see any verifiable proof of that when it comes to this title. I've had no problem playing it. I don't really like playing games, but I still play Fallout 4 and I'm hmm. I count it as one of those games I genuinely enjoy. It's just different. So, I like it too. When, when, when we picked up Fallout 3, I remember... Um, there was a lot of backlash from people hearing Bethesda's doing Fallout 3. Like, um, that's they don't know Fallout 3 here nowadays. <laughs> Sorry? I said, that's just unbelievable to hear nowadays, especially Fallout 3. Oh, my God. I, I know, but, it, but it, you know, it, it's it, a lot of people, like yourself, I know, played the originals and just, like, absolutely loved them. And there was things that Bethesda did write about them, things Bethesda did not write, do write about them. But there was a, on a, 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 partic- a couple websites in particular... A very strong sense that like like this is the worst thing they're going to destroy the franchise and I think that when Fallout 3 came out there was still plenty of people who were like yes it's ruined it's ruined 
but I but I think that it it a lot of people may have grudgingly been like actually I I can see the fallout in here I can see it and it's it's on many different levels you know it's in that like that tra- piece of trash over there has a label that I'm familiar with and this character is an homage to this character and there was I I I, I hope there was enough indication that 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 Bethesda was looking and studying the originals um uh. Whether or not they got everything right, um, but but I remember that there was so much vitriol on the web that for the first time ever as a company we got a security guard, and we started having to um, bring IDs, you know, the, to open the doors and all that, um, to open more doors, um, just because there was actual death threats and bomb threats and that kind of thing with people, you know, and and wow. that was that was a little bit of a weird time. I wasn't particularly worried about it, um, but it was just kind of weird to be like, I work at a game studio. And they're threatening to kill us because we're taking on something that they haven't even seen us do yet. Um, but, you know, it, it, you just try to remember that a lot of these feelings come from passion. And people just and it just shows you how much the Fallout franchise is treasured and valued uh, by people for so many amazing reasons because it's a really fantastic franchise. And I think, um, you know, people who, who, who don't like Fallout 3 or 4... Have could have very good reasons to not like them. It's not they're not wrong at all. You know, um, but it was it was very it was a very weird time. We were talking about people, you know, just players who just bring the hate, uh, and I think that that's one thing that the internet is definitely not not uh, devoid of. There's a lot of hate out there, but a lot of hate when it comes to games really comes from from passions and because they actually do really care about these things. And to them, these things, these franchises, these games are holy. In many regards, for a lot of games, because gaming is a, it's a very personal thing. Unless you're playing multiplayer or whatever, but your, the whole idea is you are losing yourself. You are the wanderer, and people just this is from people's childhood. They played it for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and this they had their own adventures that nobody else was there for, and so it really makes it a very personal thing for them. And then when that personal thing gets pulled into the new world, like, you know, Transformers from back in the day, from my generation, now Michael oh. is playing with them, and yeah. Super Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> used to be something, and now they're something different, and I look at the new Super Mutant, Tur- Super Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I say, yeah, okay, like, there's a lot they're doing right, there's a lot they're doing wrong, like, it, it, it does kill me a little bit, you know? Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Um, and, but, uh, but it's going to happen, because, because especially in the game community, nostalgia... Is paramount. I mean, don't you love think nostalgia? I'm working on System you, Shock, the remake of the original System Shock. Um, that's that is a pure nostalgia project, you know. And 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 the the gamers, we just completed the Kickstarter for that, and and man, people came through because people love System Shock, and they're willing to put down money because they just want to see this brought back to life once more. They want to feel it again. Um, What's funny is so, I actually I, I, I backed that based off of word of mouth. I I've never played System Shock before. I've just hey I've heard this is good. I hear you're working on it. I heard that Chris Avalon's working on it. I heard a lot of bunch of really great devs are working on. it. I was like, all right, I'll pay. I'll give yeah. you mine. Yeah, that's you great. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Me and twenty one thousand other people. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, we we should roll now into our general gaming discussion, which we kind of had already. But if anyone's playing any games that they'd like to talk about, rave about a little bit, Carrick, I know you said you recently beat a Abzu. Yes. Yeah, I can't talk about it unfortunately because it's oh. it's Tuesday uh, is the NDA, but uh, it's like Journey but underwater basically. Okay. Um, Austin Wintery, who we just did uh, interview the composer for like Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Journey, 
um, flow, a couple other games. He he did the soundtrack, so uh, yeah, that'll be exciting to see what how people react to it. Uh, Headlander, I just beat for the third time. Okay, and is that, um, is that a game you're allowed to talk about? Yeah, Headlander's right. already out. It's uh, it looks a little bit like well, it's like what are they calling those Metroid? They have a they're mixing the Metroidvania. Is yes. that what the term is? Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, but basically for I me, think, it's a platformer. Yeah, what it usually, when, I, when I hear Metroidvania, I think almost like a you go to a certain part of the game, you get an item, and you can go back to a level that you were at earlier and unlock certain places okay. that were originally blocked off. Okay, so it's um, it's like No One Lives Forever and uh, Buck Rogers mixed together. It reminds me of, do I have a map? Uh, it reminds me of the Deadly Tower Monsters, which is probably one of my favorite games um, in the last couple years. And uh, that that really sticky, you know, like goofy B-movie. And um, it's all done on color and sound, and it's it's fantastic. It is it is literally one of the best games I've played. It's been a really cool couple weeks because a lot of the games I've played have been awesome. This is the police surprised the I hell out of me on that. Yeah. My, I turned that on and I was like, man, I'm not, I mean, I'm into indie game. Like, I don't know of a genre I don't like unless it's well country music, but that's something different. And <laughs> hey, same. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be sitting there and I turned on, this is the police. And I remember it was like six hours later and I was like, oh, and, and it wasn't that, where did it go? Instead, I remembered every damn thing I did, mm-hmm. which is weird. Like it, it imprinted and the gray. Uh, so I'm a big, believer in morals and in games. I love that. And this one, you're a, you're a police chief who has 180 days to make $500,000, whatever way you want. You can be corrupt or you can be a good guy. You can help out the gangs. You can not help the games. You, you can kill your own cops by sending them into places to get killed because that'll cause the gang leaders to give you more money because there won't be as many cops on the streets. You can do the craziest stuff in that game. Now, unfortunately it got attacked by other reviewers because it is political. Um, it's uh, people. People wow. will ask you to do racist stuff, but you don't have to. That's why I like it. I like yeah. choice. And if all choices were fun, it wouldn't be a very cool life anyway. I want. I want those like nasty choices. And it's fan. It's it's uh, like an RTS almost or a turn based. It's weird. You're looking at a city and it's a diorama basically, and you're pretending to be the police chief looking down on it, and you have to send cops to different events. And it reminds me of State of Decay, one one of the games Ooh, I talk I about on the channel. Yeah, it's fantastic, but yeah. here's why I think State of Decay is fantastic, is because it continues to roll out gameplay systems up until the end. I can't tell you how many times I'd be playing State of Decay and go, wait, I can do something else? What? Like, I can use the radio tower to call in? You know, there was always something new. Yeah. And in This is the Police, right up until the end, there's like, you unlock a new person to talk to at City Hall who has new... And you're just constantly moving forward that cycle of like nothing stopping me from doing something new mm. and um it, it just it, it, it was so great to play uh but other than that uh yeah unfortunately you and i are both hoping for no man's sky so <laughs> i just i opened up time for the review they told me i was gonna get a copy but i have a feeling that's gone the way of the dodo uh, i should just go to reddit right and buy that copy i think somebody's selling their copy for like two thousand dollars what Oh, eBay, somebody bought a copy off eBay, posted it, and Sean himself, Sean Murray, posted and said, could you please take this down? And he did. The Redditor was like, I saw, yeah. I He's saw like, that. I was like, okay. I'll take it like, you, you, you were kind of douchey, but like you, you took it back. So like, Hey, he was a doucheberg, just a floating doucheberg. But what yeah. was cool about it is Sean email, or Sean, you saw him on the Twitter. Sean yeah. was like, please take this down. And I was waiting to see what the guy <laughs> was going to do. And for him to take it down was pretty cool. Like, yeah. if you can get the game early, whatever. Like, I... I don't know how More you did it. 
more power to you. But spoiling that kind of thing is a little bit like uh, posting the entire starting of a movie online, and I wouldn't see, I wouldn't expect the, to see the that. Infamous big moment in episode seven was ruined for me through a, a oh. comment on a sports article, out of all things. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, I managed yeah. to avoid as a Fallout channel um, transferring into Bethesda, but. You know, as a main Fallout channel during the hype train for that, uh, man, like, I don't know how I avoided Fallout 4 spoilers, but yet I'm reading an article about the Mets, and I scroll down to see what people are talking about in the trade rumors, and I see someone say oh. the big thing that happened in Episode 7, I'm just like, really? <laughs> okay, thanks, guy. Like, why would I, you write that here? <laughs> I'm lucky. I like spoilers. Um because oh, I like really? to play things. I love spoilers. I love to play things in reverse. So I love to get to the end and go, okay, how did I get here? So to me, that's how I review games too. Uh, so I like that. I sometimes will watch videos in reverse and, and sort of identify different points of how you get to that ending and if it all pays off. So um, I, I hate what you had to experience. That sucks. Uh, yeah, it sucks. But I mean, that's a, that's a unique way of thinking. That's, yeah. I like that. So um, that's it for me. But I'm, I'm telling you, No Man's Sky, I'm, I'm sitting here waiting. Yeah. Hopefully they're watching your channel. Uh, <laughs> hopefully this far too that'd be a, uh, really exciting but for me uh this week i've been playing i kind of want to try that this is the police that sounds interesting yeah, uh, especially awesome. based off your review i definitely want to look into that but i don't want to pick up too many games at once so uh, a game i got for my birthday and i'm finally just starting now a month later <laughs> is uh on the wii u i haven't played my wii u since bayonetta 2 but i got that link so <laughs> yeah it's been a while but uh, I had to say, whenever I start up, people will shit on the Wii U all they want. But anytime I personally start it up, it's because I'm playing a damn good game. So that's one thing worth mentioning. But uh, lately, I've been playing, and I don't know if you guys play JRPGs at all. I know Carrick, you do to some degree. Um, I play. I've been playing a Tokyo Mirage Sessions. That is a damn good game. For those who don't know out there, it is a crossover of Persona and Fire Emblem, two mm-hmm, fantastic yeah. series. And they did, what's great is they did the crossover well. Uh, it's its own thing, but you can see the inspirations. And I'm only about six hours in, but that I did that in a night. So that's how much the game kind of got me by the hooks. And uh, at first I thought, like, okay, am I, like, you know, is this the nostalgia of how much I love Persona, how much I love Fire Emblem driving me, but also something fresh. But it, it's the, the game on its own that's driving me. It's like, okay, I see the familiarities trickled about. That's exciting. Like, the instead of Persona, it's Performa. Okay, you know, stuff like that. But it, the game itself, the story itself so far uh, is driving me. And th- that's what I appreciate about this game quite a bit. So that's what I've been playing recently. The only thing I haven't complained about is that so ma- I've gotten so accustomed to anytime I turn on my Wii U, you just have like the double screen, you know, you have the, the game pad, which has the game that you're playing right there so you can plug in your headphones and listen to it. And you can't do that with uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions because they have like this whole unique cell phone mechanic on the game pad, oh, which is right. awesome. But uh, yeah, you can't, because I-, I love the music from those type of series, like the Fire Emblem Persona, and I, I wanted to hear up close the music from Tokyo Mirage Sessions, but I can't, so unless I get like really long headphones for the um, for my TV. But yeah, that's that's what I've been playing this week. Who's up next? Who wants to dive in? Bring it, Peyton. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's not repeat my answer last week. I've been playing The Forest obsessively. Okay. Really? That's yeah, an interesting good choice. Good game. Is that out of uh, is that out of early access yet or whatever they're calling? Uh, no. That's one of the so, few early access games I picked up. How, what was that? Two years ago? Twenty fifteen? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's been around forever, but I mean they expanded the dev team a while ago, and I first picked it up 
just like I think it was on Wednesday when uh, Obsidian had their multiplayer day. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I played it in a long while, and wow, the improvements that they've made since the last time I played is absolutely insane. Um, I I built a boat and sailed around the island. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I, I'm pretty notorious for loving survival games mm-hmm. with an emphasis on crafting. And there's just no real hand holding in that game. It's very it's very forgiving as far as death goes. I've managed to get killed like four times. Mm-hmm. I never lost the game. I have you never... have you looked into We Happy Few then? I haven't. I've been really wanting to pick it up based on the art style alone. Oh, it's beautiful. But I know nothing about it. it. It's if you like survival games based off what you're saying, it, you know, because I've only picked up a handful of early access games I can think of and, and the two that stick out are We Happy Few, which I got a code for from Microsoft and the other was The Forest and I was thinking of The Forest quite a bit while playing We Happy Few. Uh, the Forest and We Happy Few are completely different games, but like they have the same like you know, thirst, hunger, sleep, that type of stuff. Um, well, I think the forest, now that I'm thinking back on it, has different survival mechanics. Like, if you get wet, then you get cold. Um, you have to warm up a fire, stuff like that. But um, if you if you like survival, then you like We Happy Few. Because that was surprising, that game was survival. Like, I, I that's another game I played this week. Um, I put a few hours into it, but I don't want to put too much into it. Because the narrative, like, it starts so strong. And I don't want to, like, play the game to the point where I'm sick of it. And then when it's officially done, just miss out on everything because I'll be like burnt out. But man, that, that game is, I, I really like it so far. Yeah. I had absolutely no idea that it had any survival aspect. That's it. all it is. I should have mentioned that too. Cause yeah, I played about 15 hours of it and it's, mm. yeah, it's, I forgot to mention it. Yeah. It's very good. Sounds like my kind of game. Right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, you, you go into these, I mean, the, like you said, the atmosphere and the environment, the art style, oh my gosh, dude, I love it. it it's very Bioshock, Dishonored, to name a few, like that type of reminiscent feeling. And, you know, when you're, you're going along the wastes, it's, it's this poor, desolate area, and then you make your way to the other side of town. Yeah. Across the bridge, and it's this... 180, and there's a whole different gameplay style where you you need joy constantly to fit in, and you know you, you then you sneak into people's houses and you start knocking them out while you're off the joy so that you can, can like you know can uh, conserve the the joy inside you like whether it's through the pill or the tap water all that stuff it, it's just it's such that's a, a drug purpose. by the way guys joy is a drug I don't yeah. know if he said it but joy is a drug that you take because yeah, it's I all a V that. for vendetta kind of like weird orwellian thing it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy it's pretty yeah. cra- and it's all it's social stealth which is awesome i i mean we've never really seen it before i think peyton would love it yeah i, I really yeah. do because right when it's you're off the joy they're like hey you all right like people start noticing and, that and the on. rainbow disappears from the sky like you <laughs> yeah. can when you take a pill everybody's shiny and you're yeah. you're like trotting along you're like this is great and there's a rainbow and then as everything like sort of as you come down off the high sh- everything just starts to go to yeah. crap that was yeah. awesome yeah it, it's such a unique idea they, it, it's really going to be because they you can tell they have a grip on what they're working with yeah and i think early access this is going to really help this game because now that they know that people are like all right you what you did with the game you know you did right it, it's just a matter of uh polish i'd say and i i think 
Personally, the survival meters could use a little tweaking where I felt like it was way I too was hard. Pop and joy left and right, dude. Yeah. Oh my god! But you know, it, from what I played, I really enjoyed that game, and I, I would recommend it. it. It's a it's a game that I uh, I said in my review personally that if you're not going to invest in it, then definitely keep your eye on it. But if you're that's up your alley, the survival elements, you'll you'll like We Happy Few a lot then. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you said that you watched a lot of playthroughs on Soma, so. You know, there's not a lot of narrative to be spoiled, so I'd say watch some playthrough videos on it so you can get like a general idea of what you're getting into. But yeah, there's like crafting. Um, I like the the quests that pop up. You know, there's a lot of points of interest and there's lore to the game. It's it's interesting. It's very. It's gonna be. I think it can be very good. Jonah, you been playing anything this week? I think the most recent game that I have played was actually Shadow of Mordor, which I just ah. didn't get around to playing before. Um, I so is played, that, not to interrupt you, sorry, but is that the, the first time you're playing it? It's the first time I'm playing it, yeah. Oh, boy. It was just one of those Steam sales that I had bought, and I just hadn't gotten around to it. And mm-hmm. I what, did it, what was it I had just finished? Oh, I just finished Doom 2 for the uh, 4 for the second time. Okay. Um, and I was like, all right, cool, I'm, I'm you know done with that. And then I was like, well, maybe I should just toy around with Shadow of Mordor and see what it's about. Um, really enjoyed it for a few days. It's getting, it's gotten a little old now. The the kind of the mechanics are getting a little old. Um, it's very Assassin's Creed reminiscent, right? Very Assassin's Creed, and I can tell it's the same brawler mechanics as like Batman, um, yeah. which is fun. It's fun. I never actually played Batman franchise, wow. um, and I knew it was good. And and so having now played a brawler, I'm like, yeah, it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes. It actually, it's almost, it's almost like it presents that same Bethesda issue where for a long time I would, you know, I would find, I would encounter new um, orc captains and they'd face off and they'd say something interesting and they'd be wearing some, some crazy shit I'd never seen before. And then you play it for a while and you start seeing the same models pop up, yeah. coloring, and you start seeing it more and more and you start to realize that, you know, for me, a lot of the magic disappears when I realize that I am in a world that will keep automating entertainment for me. Um, this is why, after playing a lot of of, of Torchlight one and two, and then uh, the most recent Diablo, I actually decided, you know what? I think I'm done forever with that kind of game because at least once, you know, you play it through once, and then what they always do is they go, go now go back to the beginning, and it's even harder, and you get even crazier stuff, and. Yeah. I realized at a certain point that, it, you know, I think you had said that you're not a big fan of, of, of hooks at the end uh, um, uh, of, a, of a game. It really and depends me, what type it is when it comes to the New Game Plus. It, it really does. Right, right, yeah. And But this, this to me was like the, the ultimate example of like this will oh, yeah. never end. This will always hook you. And with every playthrough it becomes more, um, it, it, the, the kind of the numbers and the math that drive the damage that you receive and give and all this stuff, it just ends up being kind of flattening out in, in, in these, I don't know, it, you, you lose a sense of adventure in some ways. And so after a while, it was Shadow of Mordor, I really enjoyed it. I loved the art. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the, the attention paid to the orcs themselves is really spectacular, and they're very funny and amusing and fun to fight. Um, but I haven't really seen much new in it. Not, not, it, doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a game play that evolves, really. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a game funny. play that... It's funny that you mentioned, you know, the the sense of no end because I, I actually popped the question on Twitter a week or two ago. It was just like, you know, do you like games? Uh, do you like the feeling of completing a game, or, do, or would you rather buy a game that 
has a ton of content that you probably won't end up finishing. A lot of people were saying that uh, they did they would rather just get more bang for their buck. But for me, I've always been the gamer of I like the satisfaction of beating a game. And uh, an example that we talked about earlier would be like. For example, you take the Radiant Quests in Fallout 4. They're never-ending. You <coughs> keep on going. You keep going back to these areas and getting stuff for the Brotherhood of Steel, for example. But then you look at uh, Skyrim, for example, with the Thieves' Guild, which you mentioned, where you keep doing these these Radiant Quests, but eventually there's this end part point where it's like, okay, we've restored the Thieves' Guild to their former glory. And I thought that was really cool. And it made me feel this sense of completion, like, okay, I'm not just endlessly looping the fun. It's always going to be there. I think that sense of completion is important. And yeah, I want to know. If, right? Did you do you agree with that, or do you think there's like a certain point where it's like, why not throw in a bunch more, or would you rather condense a game, have it be more focused, but still give that completion sense? Like, it's a hard balance to draw, and it depends, I guess, on what series and what game you're you're passionate about, really, as well. Right. I, a game like Skyrim, because there are just many discrete quests to find, and there's always a unique sword you can't find anywhere else on this one quest in this one temple. Yeah. Um, to me, that's exact, That's the kind of game that you can finish the game at the end and then just kind of keep playing, knowing that you saved this world, but but you're still meeting new people, you're still uh, encountering new places that maybe were locked before, um, and finding new stuff. And so, yeah, at a certain point, of course, the the, the scenes are going to split and people are going to see kind of inside and see the mechanics. Mm-hmm. To me, it's, it's, the, it's the mechanics... Of games like Diablo, it's, it's so it's so ironic because what gives it its strength, which is its 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 kind of scalability and its evolution of, you know, you know, as you as you progress through the game, you get somewhat stronger and you face stronger things. But once it becomes so naked that you're just kind of running the same loop again and again, and and you're actually not finding every time you, you know, for one for me with those problems problems with those games is that every time I kill somebody. And you know it does that really quick invisible dice dice roll to see oh what did he win by killing this level twenty something rather um, if there's not enough new stuff after a while I start to feel like it's all hollow and I'm playing I mean it makes me it reminds me that I am playing in a metal like machine contraption. a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah I'm playing in a spreadsheet that's exactly not a right crafted yeah. game yeah hmm. well said yeah but but yeah so. But um, so I, I've been, been feeling that a little bit with Shadow of Mordor, but I can't give it too much trouble because at the same time I played it in some ways like I would play a Bethesda game, which is that I just ran around having fun, mm-hmm. not really going after the main quest. And so by the time it came time for me to be like, all right, I'm getting a little bored. I'm going to go check out the main quest. And then the main quest was a series of do this and do this and do this, which is all a continuation of the same kind of gameplay. I'm, yeah. At this point, I'm kind of like, you know what? It is a good game. It would, mm-hmm. They did a really good job, but I think I'm not going to play it anymore. Yeah, 2014, that came out in 2014. That was an interesting year for gaming because, I, you know, Shadow Mordor got a lot of Game of the Year awards. So did Dragon Age Inquisition. Like, both those games I thought were good, but not games that should be set as an example for Game of the Year. Yeah. Uh, that's just me personally. Uh, so, you know, when, when people say, like, I'm playing Shadow Mordor, I'm always, like, really curious to hear their thoughts because I, I remember seeing time after time they're like yeah shadow mordor game of the year and i'm like i mean it was a very good game it was fun but i wouldn't say that's the example of like this was the definitive best thing i played this entire year right. uh so you know it's always interesting to hear people's thoughts on that game um any gaming news pop out to anyone this week that they'd like to talk about i wanted to ask you guys what you thought about bioware shutting off their forums is that not the awesomest thing in the world like it, we were talking about social media and bioware's like 
screw social media, and they just shut off their forums, and they'll they'll close them completely in two months, I think. Um, but right now they're in ar- they'll be an archive for two months, and they're just going to Facebook and Twitter, and they they're just like, yeah, you can get a hold of us uh, on Facebook and shit. And so their yeah. entire forum, and I, as a big, I mean, I was on their forums all the time, Mass Effects, uh, talking about mods, all that stuff. All that's completely being truncated. Uh, it's going to go in the archive, and then I, I think they said in two months it's shutting down. The only one that's going to stay running is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic Online, because of course, MMO, that makes sense. Um, but I'd like to know what Jonah thinks of that as somebody who worked in development. Like, if, if Bethesda, if you guys were talking, what would you do if Todd Howard came in and he's like, hey guys, got an idea. Let's shut off half of the way we communicate with people. I mean, how in the how does that decision get made? <laughs> I don't that's, know. That's funny. I didn't know. Did they say why they wanted to do that? They said that social media has sort of taken over for forums. And what's funny is a lot of the people that were on the forum were like, yeah, forums are old. And I'm all, dude, you're on a forum. You just responded <laughs> right, to, right. The, to the news on a forum. Um, yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. That's so funny. I, I, first of all, I can't see Todd Howard ever saying that. I think, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I that. think that he really understands that, you know, I mean – uh, Bethesda, when I joined, um, Marwind had just gone gold, you know, a year before, no, no, two years before or something. And so I was hired right before Oblivion's release because they knew Oblivion was going to be good because it had the reception from, from Marwind and um, they wanted to expand their team. So I, that's how I kind of eat, I squeaked in at that time. Um, but they are very aware of where they came from. They're an old company. They're not new. And so much of their support comes from these people who love to hang out in forums and love to have discussions. And, yeah. you know, for me, uh, I wouldn't even equate so much a forum as the place to meet with developers so much as it's a place for people who love the game to talk about right. the game. Exactly. And social media, um, you know, I, I was never much for social media. And then these days... You know, I'm, I'm going off on my own. I'm a freelancer. I have all these individual things that I'm doing. And most importantly for me right now is I've been writing this novel and I really want to get the word out. So I realized the beginning of this process that I needed to actually have a name. I needed people to know who I was. And so, oh, shit, I got to get on social media now. I got to like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, get out there. Show your face. Show your work. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, and so I, I, I've become a slave to social media um, in these intervening years in a way that I was never uh, while I worked at Bethesda. And what I've learned and what I, what I feel about it is that social, uh, social media is very, it's very fleeting. It's very changing. It's extremely of reactive. Moment. It's extremely reactive. And, you know, within five minutes of something happening, there's 17,000 memes already circulating. <laughs> and, it, and, and, but what it, what it creates is actually there's a, it, it, it's a world of 140 characters or less, you know, Twitter is, but then also social media in general, it's all very quick um, responses and forums. People can really talk about things and people can really geek out about things and they can like talk about what they liked and why they liked it and what they hated and why they hated it. And they can really compare and contrast. And obviously forums, the trolls love forums, you know, they, they swarm to forums, but they swarm to social media too. Everywhere you go, there's going to be trolls. But I think that's that's why I don't think that I would ever could ever imagine Todd Howard saying, let's shut this down. Yeah. Because he knows where this love started. And he knows where the core of the lovers of these games hang out. Because Fallout 4, Skyrim, Fallout 3, these are blockbuster successes. And I think part of why a lot of people, the, the things that were compromised from Fallout 1 and 2 to Fallout 3 and 4, i.e. this de- the depth of story and character and progression that I know 
I know you guys here have a, a profound love for and that and that I think a lot of people could argue was shortchanged in this kind of transition to a more action-packed, more sandboxy landscape. It's precisely, um, um, crap, I lost my train of thought. It, th those, um, those people, th 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 those transitions change the game field so that um, Fallout is now a name that that like your aunt has heard about, you know right. what I mean? Like because of that that transition, but it's these it's and, and so and so it has it has it has more fans than ever. But the diest hard fans that you can find are you're going to find them in forums, yeah. um, and that's where they live. And I feel like taking away their home, I don't know. It feels why would you do that? That's their yeah. home. They'll, like, they'll go to 4chan and NeoGaf. Great, right? I, that, yeah, that's, right, right. that's exactly right. what I was thinking though. Is that you know when I when I talked to Todd. Uh, I was asking him about feedback and stuff like that, and he's like, you know, we really don't go, for example, to YouTube comments because usually you'll see people saying <laughs> ask that kind of things to get the upvote, you know, regardless of their beliefs. And so I'm thinking that if I'm a developer and you have, okay, forums are dying out, I'd keep that forum because that means that the people who are going there are diehard enough to make their voice heard on an exclusive platform that has the lowest chance of being heard there, right? And... and so I, I think it's it's silly, but I mean, okay, I hate to say it, but I think Bioware's just been doing silly things for a while now. Like, <laughs> you know, that's that's just me. I, I, I love them. You know, I, I've said this on your podcast, Carrick, that they've made my favorite game ever made. Me too. Yeah. So yeah, it's so multiple ones. Yeah, exactly. Is, so is this Mass Effect. Uh, for me, it's actually Kotor, Same. and and then Mass Effect after that, and um, but uh, Kotor, I think I've played over two hundred. I'm sure I played over two hundred times yeah. easily because I played at and least five or six times a year. Yeah, it's and just such a many times that first. Year. Yeah, and you know when you look at that, uh, for me it's probably like Kotor and, and Dragon Age Origins for them. Uh, oh yeah, that that's too. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, Dragon and Origins. and so th those are just amazing games. And you look at these decisions, like you look at how and you you opened my eyes completely, Carrick, when you were like, yeah, there were MMO directors behind you know. Oh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah, yeah. I I, like, a lot that, of people didn't realize that. Yeah, I was like, that explains okay. the MMO like quests that they gave you, and then you have this decision, and it's just like. Yeah, it's like you're shooting yourself in the foot progressively, but everyone's allowing you to do it. It's like people should be yeah. speaking out and being like, "Hey, Bioware, like we love you a lot. Like, please don't do this." Yeah, uh, oh, that's that's crazy news. For me, the, the news I wanted to, to talk about and get your thoughts on was uh, the recent. I made a video about it. it was the the Marvel Ultimate Alliance remaster fiasco that's been going on, where uh, the, you know the port was really really poorly handled on the PC. Doesn't support modern 1080p monitors. Uh, they, for example, uh, an exa uh, was that they have the power bar because in Marvel Ultimate Alliance you have four powers you can use and assign to hotkey, so it would be one, two, three, four on a PC. But they also made the jump button three. So you're, you're jumping, but you're doing your powers at the same time. So it, it makes no sense. And on top of that, uh, missing content from the DLC, which I, I don't know how that one managed to carry over. Uh, the, the upgrades are minimum, and they were charging $60 for the bundle or 40 each, and... It was, uh, you know, a, a poorly handled remaster. Now they are updating it. The director of Marvel Games said that they're going to be adding the DLC. They fixed the oh, the Xbox achievements were broken. They just fixed those, um, so that's always wonderful. But you know, they're going to be adding all these updates to something that should have been ready to go off the start and could have really sparked a discussion and love about Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which I think was a very popular series. I think it was a series that still has a future. Uh, especially, you know, if you're Marvel and you're looking at this response, you wonder, 
who's to blame and you know if they're going to look at it intelligently and go okay Activision didn't handle this well or are they going to go oh people don't really like Marvel Ultimate Alliance and then say well we're not going to do a third one or we're not going to reboot the series um so did you play them mm-hmm. so I beat them I've beat them both um it, they're they're terrible remasters but i think yeah. that we do need to look at the company and assume that i don't think it'll be a team bondy issue like la noir but they're obviously when a company says three days prior that they're suddenly releasing two remasters they they said nothing prior to that so you have three days bethesda and uh microsoft are fast with their releases six months eight months right they announce uh i think fallout how how, how long did fallout four have five. for its five months that's fast for a lot of people this is three days Usually what that indicates is there's a problem in the company. And uh, really? especially, yeah, when I talk to a lot of developers, they'll be like, dude, there's stuff that happens. Like whether that team gets uh, is out of money and it's time to move on to the next thing, whatever may occur. Or money is removed from one project, Dennis Dyack. Uh, I'm just joking. Uh, sorry, he, he's known for moving money around. Um, but certain companies have multiple IPs and then they move that money around, whether it be whether they're supposed to do that or not. Uh, it does seem to me that a, a, any game that has a three-day announcement has a problem. Really? So, so I'm not too. I mean, have you ever heard of a three day announcement for two or for See, a massive I thought, game? I, the reason I thought it was a three day thing was more of a you know because there were trademark release rumors and all that type of stuff. Where I thought that it was more so a you know okay this is a <coughs> ten year old franchise so let's just spring it out there and, and for anyone who cares they'll pick it up. It, I would say it could be, but when you see this many issues, for example, you were talking about control. Um, yeah. I when I press A and it actually is X, and when I press Y and it's B, that's a problem with the game inherently. Mm-hmm. No test because uh, I worked in test. Test isn't going to allow that to go through. They're the first thing they're going to do is write their notes down. Jonah was just talking about how they were testing. You know, in Bethesda, you have all these different people testing. You're going to write those notes and you're going to go tell somebody, guy, the button you press is wrong. Yeah. That's the basic. That's basic. Yeah, uh, sure. Sure. It, at Sega, like they were like, wait, what? We can't ship that. A can't be X. Like you can't. That's impossible. So I think that something obviously happened. Too many weird things have occurred in a small period of time for us to say this is normal. Um, and, and I'm not in any way giving them an out, by the way, because they're too expensive too. Above everything else, forty dollars a piece for two 10-year games that have not been adjusted or upresed or retextured or you know new meshes. All that has not happened. That is ridiculous. Forty bucks, man. That's for a poor Especially, consumer. That know, is a lot of money. The, the timing is fantastic because I, I said in the video that I made that I've been playing. I, I played and beat Resident Evil Five HD, and mm-hmm. that was a game that had the 1080p upres that you could see yeah. was noticeable. You had the 60 FPS, all the DLC, some new costumes, and it was twenty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you got something double the price. It's missing the DLC yeah. and it's forty. Yeah. yeah. It's like okay, Activision. Well. Um, you know, and the prices, I wouldn't argue as much if they had the proper adjustments made. If I could see a noticeable yeah. difference if the game worked properly. You know, or I shouldn't say if it worked properly. It's just, it's a mess. That's what it is. There's just it's a, a mess, lot of yeah. little things scattered about that aren't, that are just ruining the image and, and the whole product. Well, I have product. a question. Has anybody ever turned on a game and pressed a button and had it be another button? Like, <laughs> is that not the most basic of test yeah. kind of situations in the it's world? Like, okay, like, is X jump? Oh, no, yeah. it's attack. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> we'll just leave it. Yeah. That that was the uh that was my news bit. I don't know if you guys, Jonah Payton, have any piece of gaming news that caught your eye that you'd like to toss out into the fray. 
Not really. I mean, you know, just Jason Shot getting getting money. Yeah, that was, was that's was awesome. definitely definitely the big the, the highlight of my week. Um, but uh, but besides that, no. Awesome. No, that's that's great to hear though, man. I'm happy for you because that oh, I can't Thank I you. can't wait because it's gonna be fresh for me because like I, I I haven't. Jonah, I have a question about it. about it. Yeah. Um, is it? Because uh, I don't know about it. Uh, I mean, I know about it, but I haven't even gone to the Kickstarter. Is it just at? Is it? Is it just System Shock One? And what is it? It's a remat. It's a redo. What are you guys doing? If you can just break it down a little bit. Yeah. No. Good question. Um, yeah. It's not a sequel. Um, it's a. a, a it, it, it's like a. Think of it as a facelift. Okay. Um, think about how if somebody, you, you know how. Um, for Doom Four, they did. This is not. This is my Wacom pen. This is not a vaporizer. Everyone always thinks it's a vaporizer, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just chewing on my Wacom pen. Um, uh, so they're taking the original game, all the old levels. They're actually even ripping the geometry right out of those levels okay. and giving them new textures. You know, before those textures might have been 24 by 24 pixels and now right. 2048 by 2048, and they're something or a whole new um, kind of set of graphics. The world art is spectacular. The, nat- the the movement um, is fluid in some of the same ways that you know Doom Four. You know that's what okay. it's show for is fluid move- motion, feeling like you actually inhabit a body that has certain rules, but is as as fluid as possible. Um, the monsters all have the same number of hit points uh, as they did in the original, and they move towards you at generally the same speed and attack at generally the same rate. But now they're now I'm making them, and I'm making them in full 3D, and we're making them ultra detailed okay. resolutions. Awesome. So it's a lot of that stuff. Where basically, the whole goal is to take this franchise that people just was it was people cared about as much as they cared about Fallout, for instance. You know, where it was it really changed everything, and it presented with something yeah. totally new. And they're trying to do, um, trying to you know, is, is give it back to them, and not have them experience it being like, oh man, I remember this being like a lot cooler. Right. You know, which is how you would feel if you just went back and put in your old your old disc. You'd be like, "Wow, I in my head this looked a lot better." Mm-hmm. Um, the whole goal here is to give it give this game back to people and have it be completely recognizable, so that they know they know all where all the the items and the secrets are and all that. They can find it all, except that now it's it's awe inspiring to look at, and you can now there's a window here where there wasn't, and you can look at it and see the moons of of Saturn and. Awesome. Um, that kind of thing. So that's that's the whole idea. And so the Kickstarter was ba- Kickstarter was basically for, you know, we we get the old voice actors and get new voice actors. You know, so they could do all the same um, um, audio recordings they did in the previous ones, plus new ones. Um, Shodan says all the things she did before, plus new things. We got the same actress who played Shodan. Okay. Um, so that's the idea. So that's that's awesome. the whole concept. Like I think okay. it's a great idea, and I think that. Um, Relative to what uh, a lot of like sequels might be and remakes, um, relative to all that, it's quite cheap because essentially you're you're just creating, you're just putting a facelift on an old right. game, which means that you don't have to pioneer a tremendous number of new systems, you don't have to create that many new meshes. You're kind of doing the same thing. I think that once this goes through and once this is seen as a success that it is that it's going to be, um, you guys can play the, the demo. By the way, if you're interested, it, it's the first level of the game. Um, I think we're going to see it a lot more. I think we're going to see a lot more retro games that that inspire that kind of love and nostalgia that we've been talking so much about. Um, overhaul and given just is it under- with, with minor changes 
but but with a, a a whole new interface and a whole new feel. Is it Unreal or Unity or which engine is it? Or you guys do? Uh, is, is it the old engine? I mean, it's no, no, no. It's, no, no. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's Unity, but there's been some, but that might change. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, then I'll go check it out after the thing. I knew there was a demo, and I just never got a chance. And everybody's been talking about it. One yeah, of my favorite check, games of all time. So I think I think. Oh well, in that case, I really think you should check it yeah. out because I think that. Walking around in that first level, I think you're going to feel you're going to be like, oh yeah. Okay, cool, awesome. <laughs> and, That's and, awesome. And immediately recognizable from when you look at when you look at the geometry and the layout. Yeah, right. Test, it is old school. It's old school. Yeah, very cool. Stuff. Cool, cool. All right, so now it's on to fan questions, which are all directed at Mr. Jonah. <laughs> so. If you want to pick out a few, I'll go on my phone right now and, and just skim through some of them. But if, if you have any of them that you... Because I know you responded to a few tweets, like I said, and we're like, yeah, I like this one. You know, This might be one we want to pick out. Uh, sure. Then by all means. And you know, a- answer at your own comfortability. If there's <laughs> anything you, you hear that you're like, ah, I don't feel comfortable answering that, then then you know, by all means, pass on that. That's totally all right. Um, so yeah, let's totally. see here. I'm going to go through your responses to these because I know there's a couple of them. Yeah, there was a. We were we were laughing beforehand about. I think you would tw- tweet it out to everybody, and then I got a a slew of questions out of the blue. But I I'm all about it. I'm all about it. So yeah, these were all over Twitter. Um, I'm at Jonah Loeb on Twitter for those who are interested. Um, so people were asking questions um, like, where did you get inspiration for the armor designs? Yeah. Um, was was one by Cole Wiley. Um, obviously, I did not design a lot of these. You know, they were designed by me, but then a lot of them were created by me with our, plenty of artistic license. You definitely have to ask the concept artist for that because the amount of, of inspiration that goes into this is, is pretty tremendous, um, especially when we're referencing Fallout. Fallout is, um, because it takes place in what is recognizably the world that we you know, have once known, um, you, there's so many inspirations from, you know, from old movies and from, from old comic books to, to pull from. And with a lot of the armor designs, a lot of the armors in the post-apocalyptic world like that are retrofitted and, and made of different pieces. And, and so if, if you really want to see where a lot of the inspiration from that came from, you should check out the artwork by a concept artist named Adam Adamowitz, um, who I wrote an article about on Kotaku several months ago. It's about creativity, and, and it's about him. He was great. But I won't, I won't get into it. But he did pass away, and they put all of his concept art from Skyrim and from Fallout 3 up online. So thousands and thousands of illustrations. And if you want to see in pure inspiration and, and just innumerable numbers of, of combinations of ideas, you should check out this guy's work. It's Adam Adamowitz is his name. And you can, and they just have th- thousands of pictures up. And so if you want to see pure unfiltered creativity, check him out. He's good. Uh, I read a comment that was uh, pretty interesting. Um, he, he naturally asked, did you make art for any locations in Fallout 3 or 4? And if so, what was your favorite? This comes from Boss Halo 219. Boss Halo. Um, so I was primarily a character artist, so I did um, monsters. Monsters were my specialty. So I made, okay. for Fallout 4, I made like the Death Claws, the Mirelurk Kings, the Mole Rats, um, the Mirelurks, uh, the Blood Bugs. Mm, and the super mutants. Um, yeah. and so and so I didn't I do mostly character stuff. I did do some um, architectural work before I left. The idea was that you know we, I was I was brought on um, fairly early on, which is why even though I left Bethesda three and a half years ago, I still got to work on Fallout for nine months because I was brought on a little earlier. Um, 
And um, so I was expected to do like, you know, a couple objects, a couple architectural things, a couple outfits and monsters to kind of, you know, working very closely with Isvan, who was the art director, did for, you know, it, it was my goal was to try to help him establish the art direction going forward. So there was some giant chrome statues that I think, I can't remember what museum you find them in, but there's some, some quests where they're all over the walls. Um, I did this kind of Metropolis style uh, metal woman, like, you know, kind of like in, in kind of like a, kind of, it almost looks, it, it's like half like a, like a time capsule thing and half like, um, uh, like a, like something you'd be buried in, and which is kind of the idea, right? This these multiple ideas. So, but I couldn't tell you exactly where they were. Um, okay. There are bits of art that have been scattered throughout the world. So they're giant aluminum statues, basically. So if you see a big um, Art Deco um, kind of face, um, Fallout, I'm going to see if I can find a Fallout 4 uh, face architecture. Um, faces in the architecture is one thing that they did that is kind of has run throughout the franchise. I remember that in um, Fallout 3. And in Fallout 3 as well. And I did, I did one for Fallout 3. I did this like really mean-looking old man. who I was thinking like some old corrupt senator who was... Mm you know, jingoistic in the extreme or whatever. I can't find any of the images, but... So I've done a couple, but if ever you see a giant aluminum statue, either one that looks like the Metropolis woman or a face that is like a giant Grecian techno monstrosity, that one's mine. But cool. other than that, I was pure character stuff. Good stuff. Um, another question that uh, Peyton pointed out to me that we should definitely ask is from my friend Rob, Revolt of Daedalus. And he said, please ask this. He begged. <laughs> he said... How hard is retaining consistency in art style, especially textures, with so many artists, and how is it done? Very, very deep question, I'd say. Very, yeah, totally. Well, first of all, what's up, Vault of Daedalus? I, I, I know you. I've okay. seen you on Twitter. I've seen your, you, you about. Um, Memes. Um, <laughs> um, how do you maintain consistency um, artistically? It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, I think that actually with Fallout 4, that was the first time that we had been presented with when in entering the game um, a bunch of color swatches of what we should be sampling from. This is the color of all the dirt in the world. This is the color of steel. This is the color of copper. This is the color of bronze. Um, here are some techniques that, that, that I've been pioneering, not me, this is Isfan, the art director, um, for, for creating art. Here's the art style. We're going for a more simplistic, um, uh, not so noisy, kind of like Fallout 3 had um, uh, a lot more grit and noise on the textures. And what you got was a, was a, was a relatively muddy palette. Uh, Fallout 4 was much more about um, uh, um, still creating a world just as full of garbage and trash, but make it a more elegant, more smooth, uh, with more natural beauty and swatches of light, uh, color. Um, so that was a real concerted effort. Um, and so I think a lot of the, that, that day-to-day effort comes down to maybe the art director walking from desk to desk, giving feedback. Um, I know for something like Skyrim, there was also a lot of cultural references that were given to us, mainly the Vikings, but, you know, other, there were lots of different possibilities for, for, for sources that we could turn to. And a lot of those come from similar historical backdrops and all that. So even though, um, it's many different artists working on, on on things. They can look to real reference for help. Um, I don't think, if I'm totally honest, I don't think Paul, uh, Bethesda is the best at consolidating a single art style. When you look at a game like um, Dishonored, 
for instance, okay. um, or, or Doom, Doom 4, uh, or actually for that matter, XCOM 2, you have a very distinct visual style, and it's really beautiful. With Dishonored, it's totally painterly. It's almost like you're walking through an oil painting, right? Mm. Um, with, with XCOM 2, it's very clean, straight lines, okay. um, um, these, these swatches of brilliant color, uh, Doom 4, there's this uniform level of detail and um, uh, the metal, the stone, the, the demon skin, it's all very like if, uh, uh, tactile. Um, Bethesda does a lot of amazing things and Bethesda has some amazing art. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think that we have concentrated as hard as other companies on developing a unique Bethesda style. A lot of what people determine as the style is um, is is uh, unfortunately dictated by maybe the limits of the engine uh, with with the lighting and all that. So what we you know when you see a screenshot of a Bethesda game, you can see it. That's a Bethesda game, not yeah. because of a particular art style, but because of the way it looks. There's a very particular look on it, um, and we can go on and on and debate the, the, the merits and the pros and cons of that particular engine. But um, I think most people head for kind of a a reality plus. Which is, I think, kind of what I'm. What I do is kind of like epic reality. That's kind of why I liked. Um, I'm a big fan of, of of fantasy in general, and so Skyrim was really fun because I could go this. Re, you know, like um, um, it's realistic, but it's 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 a little cooler and a little slicker than realism. Um, so yeah, so it's it's nothing against them at all. And actually, I think that. Um, these are both worlds where reality, where, where we're kind of are selling reality, um, not, it's not a, it's not a cart, these are not cartoon worlds when we're talking about the Elder Scrolls or Fallout. We're talking about, you know, a, a franchise that really try to sell you on this being a real world. It's not, you know, um, you look at JRPGs, for instance, and, and a lot of them have this very different feel to them and the colors are different and the clothing is totally impractical and... Um, and they're, they're, they have all the, the, the creatures have a very distinct and magical look and, and it's, it can be very beautiful, but it, it's not reality. It's specifically, a, a, it is specifically a very alternate reality in many ways, but I think that, uh, it's Bethesda doesn't always try to do that. So that's my long winded, very long winded answer. Interesting. Uh, that's a good answer for a, a big question. Um, one other thing, since you were talking about specific creatures and creation, all that stuff is that. Uh, Mad the the mo- mouthful of a name Mad two two zero zero two three says uh, is there a favorite thing that you've created for Fallout or Elder Scrolls I know this is a uh, a general question that you probably get a lot but I'm sure people are interested to hear your answer if you even have a favorite you know a lot of people I know this is a totally different spectrum mind you but a lot of people are like do you have a favorite video you've made and I'm just like I kind of just go video at a time so I'm I'm interested to see if you have a an answer to that um, yeah I think I I think my favorites. My, my favorites in each game, Fallout 3, I would say my, the Feral Ghouls, I love the best. Mm. Um, Skyrim, I would say maybe Alduin okay. um, may have been my personal favorite. And then for Fallout 4, probably the Death Claws and probably the Super Mutants as well. I think the Super Mutants get a lot less... I look on like DeviantArt to see people like do fan art of these monsters and all that because... I'm a narcissist, and I want to see, you know, I, w- I want that payoff. But um, uh, Death Claws get a ton of love. People don't really love the the um, the, the super mutants. Don't really seem to inspire anybody. But I just love those two creations. So 
those are probably my all time. Okay. Yeah, you know, and, and and I think a lot of it comes down to you know every everything you do. Uh, it was a personal goal and, and one that a lot of people in the character art team pursued. There was a lot of talent in the character art team, and while I was there, we got a lot more people, and everybody who came along presented new abilities um, and prowess that I hadn't seen before that really pushed me. I kind of feel like at a point um, early at the beginning of Skyrim, I felt like I, I, um, I was kind of plateauing learning-wise. And then we started hiring more people and more people, and there was so much ability um, that it was really spectacular. But what we ended up doing ended up is, is whatever you do, drives on every the next person to try to do better than you. And so I think that for us, it's, you know, the, there was so much competition, friendly competition, and it never felt like we were just slogging through these things. It really felt like we were trying to outdo one another. Um, and the player won. So yeah, that was, that was, those are my favorites and, and that's why. Cool. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, I see you already have an answer for it, but I'm sure you'll go into more detail because this isn't Twitter. Uh, Rodney asks, are there any designs that you wish you could go back and change? Yep. And what's up, Rodney? And I definitely mentioned um, the Yagwai. The Yagwai from Fallout 3, I just, I never done, or not, not that I never done, but I, I was not, I didn't have that much experience yet overall in character creation. And the only other four-legged thing I'd made was um, the skeletal hounds from uh, the Shivering Isles, or one of the expansions for Oblivion, and it was a monster that I had big hopes for, and I, and I couldn't pull off right. And then I had the same thing happen with the Yagwai. I I had big hopes for the Yagwai, and I just couldn't figure out how to make it right. And then to me, I just it's just offensive to look at. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but you know, That's you're awesome. gonna have a couple of those. Uh, it's cool that you're able to answer those type of questions and, and not feel, you know, I guess for lack of better words, embarrassed about it because you know, that's in, that's interesting though. How about? Um, I'm the Dozer asks, and you let me know if I'm firing too many at you. Uh, I'm the Dozer asks, what was the most challenging design you had to create? Um, well, the dragons for Fallout definitely took a long time. There's a lot of considerations. There's programmers and animators to please, and there's 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 visions, there's alternate visions for the to create the dragons. I was given over 32 different drawings of, of that they come up with. Um, and they were like, yeah, we'd like to get the body on this one and, and the head on this one and the coloring here and the personality here. So combining that was hard, but it was m- even more hard than usual because um, people, because there were so many considerations to take into mind. So for instance, the neck couldn't be as long as it was in the concept because when you're fighting this thing, the neck is too long. It just looks like you're fighting a giant head and the body's, you know, like 50 miles away from you. So it doesn't quite work out in the same way. Um, but um, so technically that was quite difficult. I think probably one of the most arduous tasks I've undertook, undertook was actually after I left Bethesda, I did a contract monster for Bethesda, the Myrler King. And, um, and the Myrler King just, I put a lot of effort into it. I, you know, I, I left Bethesda and I was... I was doing a lot of illustration and a lot of writing, and neither of these things were things I was I was familiar with. And so when the opportunity came to do what I was good at, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to dive in all the way." And I think I went a little overboard um, in many. You did a fantastic ways. job with Myler King, if I'm honest. Thank very, you. I, well. I appreciate it. There was there was things I, I I for some reason it didn't it didn't feel great going into it, even though I did put a lot of effort into it. Um, 
and um, this, there were so many details on him. There's so many like membranes and fins and all that that, from a technical standpoint, just putting him together was yeah, gotcha was sucky. Yeah, yeah, but that's I believe that's all the questions we have. Just because the rest are are stupid. Like, describe your toaster if you want to answer that. Uh, I have a toaster oven. I don't have a toaster. Oh snap! All yeah. right, curveball. People are asking the real questions right now on Twitter. Yeah, holy huh. crap, man. But anyway, uh, yeah, that'll that'll wrap up the podcast unless anyone has any final thoughts they want to get out there. Any questions? No? Not not, not from me. I had, I've had a great time. I wanted to thank thank your audience for, for, for listening in and, and for loving Fallout. Wow, of course. They're, they're going to enjoy this quite a bit. And, and thank you guys, all three of you, for coming on. I really appreciate it, especially when I have to run this show on my own sometimes. It's It's definitely hard. Because you got to do all the scripting and everything, so thank you guys for coming on and, and making time sure. for this as well. It's always always great, and you guys are always welcome back on. Now, normally, what we do is uh, have the guest end the podcast, as Peyton you're well well aware of. But I'm not going to do that this time because we have multiple guests, so uh, that would be like almost you know picking your favorite child or something along those lines. So <laughs> I'm not going to nope. do that to you guys. <laughs> So um, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 69 of the Ham Radio Podcast. Once again, Jonah, Carrick, and Peyton, thank you guys so much for thank coming you. out and joining us for this lovely episode. This is actually one of our longest ones in quite a while, so this is a special one. And I think a, a lot of the long-term listeners are going to enjoy it. But nonetheless, thank you guys for listening this far. Be sure to check out all the stuff I have linked for each of these fantastic gentlemen in the uh, description section down below. And I will catch you guys in the next episode. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Oh, yeah. wait. Yeah, we're gonna have to wait a second because my mouse just died. So hold on. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the episode. Let's go. Let's running. take over. Okay. The episode <laughs> is still running. Well, speaking speaking of social media, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a quick uh, uh, social media whore real quick because mm-hmm. I've been told by many people that I really have to just like keep pounding the self promotion thing. But I'm on Twitter. Oh, yeah, your handle's been on screen the whole. I'm a, oh well, there you go. Then I got I'm you. That's all I had to say. <laughs> come come by my stream. Say hi. All right. Cool. Oh, yes. cool. Yeah, follow all these wonderful gentlemen. Check out all their amazing content. And- yeah, and if guys, if you're not following Peyton on Twitch, and if you want to see amazing artwork done on the regular, this guy's immense, <laughs> immense talent. Thank you, Jonah. <laughs> For real, yeah, all, all three of you guys, talented <laughs> as fuck. I'm glad we could finally get you on here. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. Here. Yeah, you reached out to me. I was like, you want to come on my show? Okay. <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, why hasn't it happened? It's been like a week. <laughs> yeah, well, thank whatever you, guys. you want. Whatever. This is this is this is fun, man. I like. I love. I love answering questions. And you guys think a lot about lots of different games. And you think about the the art form of game. And you you know you guys you guys know what you're talking about. So it's mm-hmm. it's a real pleasure. Yeah. All right. Cool. My mouse works this time. So I, I think I'm going to close down the episode for real this time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, thank you everyone for joining, and we will catch you in the next episode. Take Peace care. Bye.